Aren't TV movies fun? Join Amanda, Dan, and Nate as they discuss their favorite made-for-TV movies on the Made-for-TV Mayhem Show. It's Allie from the Young and the Restless chat. I fooled you for a second, didn't I? <laughs> you did. This is actually Amanda from the Made for TV Mayhem show, but there is a really good Young and the Restless chat run by somebody named Allie that everybody should check out. Um, and that song is actually just not me trying to say everybody watch Young and the Restless subliminally. That song does come into play in one of our two films that we'll be talking tonight. So if you didn't recognize it, that's the naughtiest theme from Henry Mancini, but you may know it best as the opening and closing and sometimes in the middle song to Young and the Restless, um, which they've used, I think, since the show started in the 70s. I'm not positive of that, but I'm pretty sure. So we're actually here to talk about uh, Snowbound Horror, and I'm pretty excited about it because we had a snow day yesterday that had no snow. So <laughs> where, where wow. I live, they closed the entire city down, I mean down, locked down, and, um, and nothing happened. So, uh, except it was 20 degrees and there was some ice on the road, but, um, yeah, they basically closed all the major facilities down except the emergency stuff. And we all sat at home and watched uh, soap operas and TV movies. At least I did anyway. <laughs> it was really fun. So, um, so to prep for the snow day that wasn't to be, uh, we watched, uh, Snow Beast, which is a classic seventies, uh, TV terror film. Um, very popular, uh, pretty well-known because it's in public domain, so it's in a lot of 50-packs. And I paired it with a movie I'd never seen before called Ski Lift to Death, which is also known as Snow Blind, which is probably the better title, and we can talk about that when we get to that um, section of the program. And um, for those of you who uh, watched along, you may have watched the remake to Snow Beast, I did, um, from 2011 with John Schneider. And we'll just briefly, like for three minutes, talk about that one. Um, and so let me introduce my co-host and we can get started. So, hey, Dan, is it snowing in L.A.? Oh, I wish it was. We, we had a lot of rain and chills last year for winter. This year, nothing, really. Uh, it's it's been kind of disappointing. However, I have spent the last three days watching these two films over and over again. And over and over. Uh, yes, it's giving me a very chilly. I even have Snow Beast playing right now. And may I say that Young and the Restless, I watched that show religiously from 2013 to about early 2016. And it was great. You need to get back. I do need to get back. I, I feel bad. I, I fell behind and the episodes were piling up. And there yeah. was just a time when I had to sort of cut the cord and, and run. Well, I'll be back. I'll catch you up on it later. But it turns out we we have another Young and the Restless fan in the house, and that is our good friend Nate. Hey, Nate, what's up? Hey, Amanda. Hey, Dan. Um, Hey, Nate. um, I'm a huge fan of Young. Well, I will admit I haven't seen Young and the Restless in a while, but um, I started watching it um, with my mother uh, Hmm. probably back. It was around 1990 or 91. 
somewhere in that time frame. And I watched it like up through the late nineties. So I watched it a good, like eight or nine years before I, I guess I kind of got away from it. But I mean, that show was very addictive back when I was watching it. So I started out the whole time of Sheila and Lauren Fenmore. Yes. I was, I was going to ask you, what was your favorite storyline? And by the way, Sheila came back. Do you still watch Bold and Beautiful? Because you were watching that too, right? Yeah, I watched it around the same time. I, wa- I kept watching Bold and Beautiful longer than, than Young and the Restless, but I I don't watch it now either. Okay, because Sheila's the- back. Uh, I'm always happy to see Sheila again. <laughs> yeah, She's they, my favorite villainess. They literally brought her in under like cloak and dagger secrecy to back to the show when they had her come back a couple I don't think she's still on but she came for like a couple months stint and um they had her come in like completely incognito like covered up with like a blanket over her so that nobody would get the spoilers that she was back so that the day she came back nobody nobody knew it didn't leak onto the internet at all and um and apparently it was like ridiculously like the internet exploded the soap opera internet which is um a very small section of the internet but still very very fun um it exploded when she came back on and um i don't know much about sheila but they've been reintroducing her character sort of on young and the restless because uh scott who she kidnapped who's lauren's son okay so lauren had a son and sheila kidnapped him and um and i don't know the whole story but scott came back and then lauren basically sent him to a series of schools i think and out of the house i I don't think she she was trying to keep him safe and then he became a reporter and somehow he aged like another 10 years more than he should be now and he came back as a super gorgeous guy that is like having an affair with like two women right now and i'm really into it guys i'm really into it um, <laughs> so so lauren's been talking a lot about sheila because of that because she kind of keeps scott under her thumb um because she's so worried about him and he's like a war reporter that was I was going to say that was my favorite storyline probably was uh back when Scott was a baby and uh Sheila stole him. That's right. She switched the babies in the hospital when Lauren gave birth because she was a nurse who was really uh she had a thing for Lauren's husband at the time. So she you know pretended to be pregnant and then she switched Lauren's baby with one from the black market and she took Scott's or, or yeah, the uh, Lauren's actual baby and passed it off as her own. Now, did you watch One Life to Live? Uh, I watched during the very heavy Vicky and Dorian years. Okay, do you remember when Todd stole uh, um, Blair's baby and sold it on the black market? And then Blair was like, I kind of wanted that baby. And then, um, like, she thought it died. And then I can't remember what I think she said she didn't want it because the guy she thought she was pregnant by. Um, had abandoned her. I can't remember the whole story. And then so he took it and like sold it on the black market. And then she was like, I, I really wish I'd had that baby. And so he had to go like find the baby. <laughs> it's like, it's the black market it was awesome. So good. Um, baby switch stories are fantastic. They're like, they're, they're old hat. They've been going on since as long as I can remember on soaps, but it never fails to get to me. And I have no maternal instincts, but there's something about the baby switch that I really love. <laughs> no, there is no baby switching tonight. No. Oh, but I got to tell you my favorite line right quick before okay. we move on from Young and the Restless. Okay, so this is giving an idea of what kind of person Sheila was, even though I love her um, very much. But um, there was an episode because the baby she switched, like the baby Lauren got from the black market, um, it died. So basically everybody told Lauren her baby died. So, I mean, she dealt with like grieving for that. Well, there was a scene where Sheila's on the phone with Lauren, but um, somebody else is in the room. So Sheila's being nice. And 
as soon as the person leaves the room, Sheila goes, hey, Lauren, you know, maybe we can get together sometime, you know, with our kids. Oh, that's right, though. I forgot. Your baby died. (laughs) (laughs) She was mean, but I liked her. (laughs) That's why you liked her, though. It's those characters. So do you remember Dina Mergeron, uh, Jack's mom? Yeah, she did, like, stints once in a while back when I watched. Well, she's back. And um, she actually has Alzheimer's now. It's the same actress. And um, and she kind of reingratiated herself into the family with this super secret guy that follows her everywhere, this younger lover she has named Graham. Well, he's not really her lover, but maybe he is. We just found out. Um, but anyway, um, so she just kind of says things to people. And um, and I don't know if you remember Gloria, but Gloria is Kevin Fisher and, um, oh, my God, what's his brother's? Christian LeBlanc's mom, Michael. And um, and. Oh, if I do the line, it's not going to make any sense. But anyway, she's like, um, she's Jack's secretary, and she, and Dina treats her like she's a maid, and she's like, send the help home. Like that's how she talks to her. And one day she says, just call a bitch a bitch. And this is like a seventy nine year old woman, <laughs> and it's like fantastic. It's so good. Um, but uh, but it's also heartbreaking news, uh, a heartbreaking story because she does, the character has Alzheimer's, and it is based off of the uh, producer executive writer's real life story with his own mother. So it's kind of an interesting parallel there. So you're laughing at things, but mm-hmm. at the same time you're like, wow, that's really fucked up. Yeah. Um, but that's what soap operas are about. They build you up and then they break you down. Yep. And you come back they for do more. That. You come back for more. And we have a little soap opera stuff happening in both of these films. So why don't we go ahead and get to them? Because <laughs> we can probably yes. talk about Young and the Restless all night. And everybody's like, this isn't Allie's podcast, Amanda. You'll never be Allie. You'll never be Allie. <laughs> I just, you know what I, I just realized is that I watched the show religiously for three years. And the only person's name I can remember is Victor. I remember what everyone looks like. But but for some reason, names didn't stick with me. I would be like, oh, he's having an affair with her. Oh, he was electrocuted. Now he's blind. Oh, this, you know, stuff like that. But I, I, um, I don't remember oh, names that's that right. well. That's right. That's right. Neil went blind. That was awesome. Yes. So you saw the plane crash, right? When he, like, confronted Devon and Hillary that he knew that they were having yes. an affair because she was married to Neil at yeah. the time. And Devon is her is his son. And they were on the plane. Yeah. Oh, and he got his sight back. But he pretended like he was blind so he could confront yep, yep. them. So good. So good. So that was good. So good. i got to say, though. Christian LeBlanc, they must love him as an actor because I can't believe they brought him back after all the stuff he did. He, like, murdered somebody, and he tried to rape Christine. I mean, it was uh, pretty wild. You know what? Him and the character that plays his brother, Kevin Fisher, were both real low down in the dirt, and they've both been redeemed since then. And I only Uh know Michael as a good guy lawyer. I don't know him as, like, the rapist, whatever. And he's friends with Christine now. Yeah, I, I remember reading something about that, but I mean, it surprised me because I wonder if they've ever brought up the fact that he murdered somebody. Because I remember it very clearly. It was some like woman who found out what he was up to, and she was going to blackmail him. And the next time we saw her, she was laying dead in the woods. It oh was very God. creepy. Yeah, her name you, was like Rebecca or something. Yeah, you, you, like you have to remember that like Luke Spencer is the most iconic male soap opera character in the history of soap operas, and he had the most iconic love affair with Laura, and he was her rapist so like soaps have a long history of having this really weird tension between the male love hero and like really offensive behavior and Todd Manning on One Life to Live was the exact same way Um, Sonny Corinthos on General Hospital is a mobster who's killed lots of people but he is also the romantic lead 
it's just something you kind of have to struggle with when you watch them. So when I see, or hear, I guess I don't know enough about Michael, but when I hear stories about that, I kind of brush it off because I'm so used to characters getting redeemed. Tom Manning was a serial, serial rapist. And like, he was not a nice guy, but they, they, they redeemed him. And I, I mean, a lot of it is a testament to how good the acting was, but the writing was also really good, the way they gave him a backstory. And I don't know if they, what they did with Michael, but um, Gloria, his mother, you know, she's like a... Well, not a barfly, but, you know, like a real troubled character that comes in and out of their lives and things like that. And I'm sure that that played part of it. But, yeah, he's like a really nice guy now. I can't envision him doing something like that, nor could I envision Lauren putting up with it as his wife. So it is interesting. And I'm, that's probably another episode. <laughs> I'll pick two. Possibly, I'll pick yeah. Two, I'm sorry. I'll pick two TV movies with soap stars in them and we can talk about this. Nice. Nice. But right now we're going to talk about a snow beast who redeems himself, doesn't he? More or less, sort of. (laughs) It's winter carnival time at a crowded ski resort. And a killer beast is on the loose. You won't believe me either. Nobody will ever believe me. Well, what's more important, finding your friend or trying to convince us that there's some kind of monster out there? This wasn't an animal. It wasn't human either. Bo Svensson and Yvette Mimieux star in a big event thriller, Snow Beast. Tuesday, June 6th at 9, 8 Central and Mountain. Uh, let me uh, let me give you guys some plotting on this. Um, it begins, well, it begins with a lot of eerie uh, point of view stuff and a big hairy white arm uh, on, a, on a tree. But the, the first scene is two gals, was it Jennifer and Heidi? They're out, they're skiing. It's the Colorado Rockies. It's beautiful. And uh, they see big clawed footprints in the snow, which Jennifer dismisses and Heidi is not so sure of. A few moments later, Jennifer's grabbed by this huge monster and she's gone. She's where'd she go? Who knows? Heidi goes into shock and the snow beast claims its first victim. We head down now to, I believe it's the Rill the Rill Lodge and the Rill Lodge is run by Mrs. Carrie Rill uh, and they are about to have their big blowout. It's an orgy of fun and games. Oh my the God. Says. The, uh, the, they're, they're, they're having a great time. It's their winter carnival and they have like a, they have a snow queen named Betty Joe, and they're going to all had, they're going to have all different kinds of skiing competitions, including some freestyle skiing, which Mrs. Rill says they used to call hot dogging. When she was young, that's right. And and uh, so you get you get all these people, and it's 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 very much the big big event in this town is this huge uh, carnival. A uh, gentleman shows up uh, and a snowmobile, sort of a ski patrol guy, and wants to talk to Tony Rill, who is Carrie's um, grandson. And Tony is sort of like a yeah, general guy in charge of everything. And Tony is taken away from from the uh, from the lodge to to uh, to go talk to Heidi, who is in a state of shock and who is sort of out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, at the same time that this happens, the Seabergs arrive. Gar and Ellen. Ellen is a news reporter. Gar was a 1968 Winter Olympics uh, gold medal ski guy, uh, but now he hasn't been on skis since then, and he's not doing so well, and he's looking for a job. And he hates gay people. Does he? No, he's it's Will Swenson from Night Warning, and like Night so. Warning. <laughs> and he's whenever I see him in something, I I always think, oh, that guy's rotten. It's because he was so good in Night Warning. He is. He's yeah. a great actor. Yeah. I always think of him uh, from Gold of the Amazon Women. That's that's always the first thing that comes. <laughs> a little different, yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, so the the Seabergs are there, and they uh, they've they've come to this place because they are good friends with Tony. Uh, the grandson and and Ellen was once very good friends with Tony, 
wink, wink. Oh my gosh, and, I love uh, but, it. I wanted to be good friends but, with Tony too. I have to admit. So yeah, he's yeah. It's it's. I I didn't realize I spent the whole time looking. It's Robert Logan. I yeah. spent the whole time looking at him, going, "Where do I know him from?" Oh, seventy seven Sunset Strip, duh. Um, but and oh, probably from my bedroom walls, maybe. Yes, probably your dreams, yes. your sweet dreams. Um, uh, so I forgot where I was. Okay, so uh, they're talking to Heidi. Uh, um, and she's she's given information about the footprints and about the roaring and ba- basically there's a monster. Heidi, Heidi, could you explain to me exactly? You won't where... believe me either. Nobody will ever believe me. Well, what's more important, finding your friend or trying to convince us that there's some kind of monster out there? There is. I saw its footprints. I heard it, and it's got Jennifer. And all anybody's doing around here is staring at me like I'm crazy. Nobody thinks you're crazy. The problem is the patrolmen haven't been able to find Jennifer yet. In fact, they can't even find your tracks. So you're going to have to get a hold of yourself and take us back out there again. I'm not going back. Please, don't ask me to. Please, I can't. Okay, okay. But you can describe the spot, can't you? No. No, The only thing I can remember are those footprints. And Tony tells the other guys, okay, guys, let's keep calm about this. You know, let's let's get some more info. They all kind of fan out and and check the area. And uh, Tony finds a um, although I I actually forget this scene, but he mentions it later on. He finds a jacket. Yeah, it's all bloody. And it's got it looks like it's been clawed. Yes. Um, And. um, and he kind of leave it, leaves it in the place, and they all return to the lodge. And they chat with he chats with Gar and Ellen, and he gives Gar a job. And uh, one guy, this crazy hot dogger, one of the ski patrol guys, decides to go out on his own and investigate and try to find Jennifer. He ends up getting killed by the snowbees, which is too bad. Tony tells his grandmother, basically, there's something out there. A woman's disappeared. We need to close off this area. And the grandma's, you know, very much, no, we can't do anything. We can't scare anybody. Don't call the police. They decide to close off the area, but they're going to remain calm about it. Let's see. The next day. That's a lot for uh, a day. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, 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 I realize that I'm trying to go through as swiftly as I can, but I'm trying well, to hit the, the pertinence time. here. The take next your time, but like, yeah, just it's okay, Dan. Right. Um, the uh, the next day, a bunch of folks arrive at a barn that Heidi mentioned that they saw as they were sort of on their way to encounter the beast. Not that they went to encounter the beast, but that's what they did. And I'm not sure who these people are exactly in this truck. They get out of this truck. I feel like they're putting up signs, but I'm not sure. And uh, they find Jennifer's body in a water trough in the barn. Jennifer's body. That's a movie. Jennifer's body. Yeah, (laughs) it it is. Um, And they find her body and she's like, she's, uh, she's torn up. She has no face. Apparently she's in a really bad way. Meanwhile, (laughs) um, meanwhile, uh, Tony and uh, Ellen, kind of have a little conversation. It's clear that they both still care for one another. Um, and Ellen has said that Gar is really become, kind of becoming a load and she's kind of losing respect for him. And the first thing Tony asks of Gar and Gar's new job is to go out and kill whatever this thing is that made Jennifer disappear. Gar isn't so thrilled on that because he thinks it might be something Bigfoot related and he and Ellen are big Bigfoot fans. Well, I can certainly understand your grandmother not wanting any of this to get out. You know, she may be right about it being a grizzly. Winter attacks are not all that rare, you know. Cole, it's not a grizzly. 
what do you think it is? Gar thinks it's one of those legendary creatures called Bigfoot. That's right. The legends I've heard about Bigfoot put him pretty firmly in the Pacific Northwest. Not necessarily, Sheriff. Ellen tells me there. There are hundreds of them roaming around all over the country. Ellen? Oh. My wife. She's a TV journalist. And a while back, she did a special on the Bigfoot controversy. Did they settle anything? Nah. Not what you, a sheriff, would consider hard evidence. But she did run across a couple of interesting points. She went up to Washington State and met with an anthropologist. He showed her, oh, I think she said, 150 photographs, hand and footprints of so-called Bigfoots. Now, if you want to know more about it, I suggest you go and talk to Helen. But then what happens is the, the sheriff calls Tony and Gar to the barn. They identify the body of Jennifer, not through her face, but through the clothing she was wearing. It had the same color scheme as the jacket. And, and the, the sheriff, Sheriff Paraday, and Tony say, uh, tomorrow we are going to go hunt this thing down. And can we bring you with us, Gar? And Gar says, yep. Uh, he, he sees that whoever, uh, he, he had thought that maybe the creature took uh, Jennifer maybe to eat her or something, I guess, or I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Or maybe he didn't take her. But now that he's seen what she's done to Jennifer, Gar is in. So tomorrow it's going to be Gar, the sheriff, and Tony are going to go out, maybe do a little hot dogging, but mainly do a little snow beast hunting. At the same time, uh, Ellen decides to go skiing. And she's a reporter. She's got a reporter instincts. And she's, she's out and about, and she starts to hear noises. And she has a bit of a run-in with the snow beast and sort of ends up in that barn, that darn barn. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's the, it's the, it's, it's the Fairchild place. And I thought, Morgan, but no. Oh, um, it made me think of um, Friday the 13th Part 3 because everybody's so compelled to go to the barn at some point. Yeah. Like there's something yeah. about yeah. that barn that draws people in and Jason yeah. just waits. Yeah, yeah and, and she somehow, uh, somehow Ellen ends up in this barn. And, uh, well, she's, she's hiding from the snow beast in the barn. And uh, that night, uh, the winter carnival sort of starts. And they're uh, decorating what I thought was a gymnasium, but it's, it's a part of the lodge. I imagine. Mm. And the, the Snow Queen is there and Gar is there and everyone's excited and the whole town is excited and, and Carrie's there and she's talking to the Snow Queen. And then all of a sudden, the Snow Beast decides to look in a window. Absolute <laughs> chaos. Absolute. He wanted to join oh, the party, guys. Yeah, that's true. He, he, he wants to meet the Snow Queen. Maybe he wants to meet uh, Gar or Bo oh, Svensson. Gar's, hey. Gar's famous. Yes. Um, and yeah, there's chaos and craziness. The snow beast kills the snow queen's mother, who's out in a, out in a truck. Um, and did you see that moment where um, old? Uh, because Carrie Rill is played by uh, Sylvia Sidney, who was one of those actresses who's always kind of old. Yeah. And she, when when everyone is storming out of the, uh, maybe it is a gymnasium. Aren't there bleachers? Don't yeah, they there run is. by bleachers? Yeah. And, okay. Um, she takes a fall when she's running with Bo, which looks. Painful. I don't know. Did you guys see that I when did, she right before was, the crown? It was her. It yes. was the actress. Yeah, no, the, yeah, yeah. It looked really. I thought, whoa, like women in their seventies shouldn't be like dropping to their hips like that. Unless that, that, you're Sylvia Sydney and you smoke so much that your entire body is like tar, so then you're more flexible. <laughs> you can. That's true. That's true. So, uh, yeah, so there's this big attack and it's craziness. And uh, Bo, uh, yeah, Sil Sylvia, uh, I I'm sorry, uh, Carrie has to go to the hospital. And 
and Gar goes back to his the hotel room. Ellen isn't there, and he knows she went out. So he get for the first time in years he gets on skis and goes out to find her, and he does find her in the barn, and they spend a lovely evening together. And sort of at that point, their relationship begins to mend a bit. And then the the very next day, when everyone has reassembled at the lodge, suddenly the sheriff shows up with a dead bear. And he says, oh, I did it. We're, we're, it's done. It's the dead bear. And as the whole crowd is like, yay, hooray, it was a dead bear. It just keeps cutting to Gar, <laughs> Ellen, Tony, and the sheriff. <laughs> and, I know, it's and, just, and the bear. It's just funny. Well, first of all, it was a guy in a bear costume. But the, it was a guy in a <laughs> what you said was, uh, oh, yay, it was a dead bear. <laughs> like it was a dead bear stalking the uh, skiers. Yes. So I, that just put a funny image in my head. So a zombie bear was mistaken. Yeah, oh, oh, my God, zombie bear. <laughs> um, and, and uh, yeah, Gar, Allen and Tony go to the sheriff and say, you don't think that was it, do you? And they say, okay, well, let's, the four of us, um, uh, get the snowmobiles, get some skis, get some guns, get the sweet-ass little camper we got. We're going out to the woods. We're going. <laughs> We're going snow beast hunting. And basically sort of the last act, the last 15, 20 minutes uh, is them hunting the snow beast. But do the hunters become the hunted? I'll leave it there. Bo Spencer forever. All right. <laughs> well, Dan, had you seen this before? Oh, sure. Sure. Um, I, I think I first saw this um, uh, maybe like uh, this. This one came out on VHS, correct? Like a long time ago. I probably right? did. I don't know about a V. Yeah, it did come out on VHS. I know at least in Australia it had a video release because when I did my panel at, at the Monster Fest, uh, John Harrison, mm-hmm. who wrote the review that is in the book of Snow Beast of my book, um, Are You in the House Alone? A TV Movie Compendium. Um, it's a good time. He, he brought. Uh, he was on the panel with me, and he brought uh, his VHS copy of Snow Beast. Yeah, I, I, I believe I did rent it a long time ago. And I, I quite enjoy it. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti stuff. Anyways, this is uh, what this is seventy, early seventy-seven, right? So this is prime, mm. um, prime time for that. And yeah, I I've, I see it. This is when I probably watch uh, maybe once every year and a half or so, wow. or 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 three times in the last four days. Yeah. <laughs> so that may th- that may throw the average off. But yeah, I, I I enjoy this quite a bit. Perfect. And oh, I'm go ahead. Oh, I, I was gonna. Uh, I was gonna say. Uh, um, I, I I could dive into more. Would you like to ask Nate? Or I didn't know. I didn't well, know. yeah, I, I feel really like I missed this opportunity because I was so excited about us talking about um, Young and the Restless that I forgot to oh, introduce sure. Nate. As Nate, please don't hit me in the. F- oh shit! I fucked up. Wait, let me do this again. I wanted to introduce Nate as. Fuck! <laughs> I can't remember how it goes. <laughs> Nate, please don't hit me in the face, Mom Johnson. <laughs> Oh, it was mom. Please don't hit me in the face. <laughs> I'm still laughing about that, by the way. <laughs> it, it, it just it's, it's awful if you think about it, because it's like, don't hit me. You can hit me, but not in the face. <laughs> like, you make it sound like the face is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> well, her, your beautiful face, you want to protect it. I mean, mm, that's just a natural yes. inclination. So, Nate, had you seen this before? No, I had not. And I couldn't believe I hadn't seen it before, me because it's totally my kind of movie. <laughs> I mean, from the very beginning, and I was like, from the bad friend, I I say bad friend because it's like they they hear the roar, and suddenly her friend is just gone. She don't say, let's get out of here. She don't like be like, oh, what could that be? She don't do anything. It's just like, it's like she forgets there's somebody even with her. She's like, I'm out of here. Done. Bye. I guess she was like, if it's going to get somebody, it'll get you. And it did. (laughs) You know, but... 
I was like, yeah, that was an awful thing to do. Like, did you ever want? It's like look back and think, oh, my friend's not with me. That's a bummer. <laughs> um, and doesn't she say later on? Heidi says, oh, her parents wanted me to watch out for her, or something like that. And I thought, wow, that did a bad job. Good job, yeah, Heidi. You know, yeah. Failed, job, Heidi. Failed on that. Um, I love the scene where the monster attacks at the um, the gymnasium. Because, yes. uh, first of all, I love that Carrie's like, Betty Jo, smile. And then, like, she screams when she says that. It's such a weird edit, though, isn't it? Like, yeah. she's doing her hair, yeah. and then and then it cuts. But there's, it looks like there should have been a little bit more between her getting her hair primped and screaming. But it just cuts to, like, her face. But it's a great, like, that actress, is a, that expression is amazing. Oh, yeah, it was a good reaction. And, of course, all the people go crazy. And, you know, if you didn't know the reason why, it would almost look like the crowds at, like, a Black Friday sale. <laughs> yes. uh, just the way they're all falling all over each other. And then, like, they knock down uh, poor Carrie. And I was like, oh, you yeah, jerk. She's yeah, the nicest yeah. character in this movie. You know, I mean, she's uh, – I loved her character. So I was like, you know, it's, it's definitely like a typical Black Friday. I mean, in this one, they ran over an older lady, but they would do it for a TV too, I bet. Damn <laughs> uh, <Yeah>, right. <laughs> I had to rant because I liked her, and I did not like seeing her having to get hauled away in an ambulance. But at least she mm-hmm. – you know, uh, semi-spoiler – at least she didn't die at the hands of the snow beast. Mm-hmm. That's right. Just mm-hmm. Just the snow queen's mom. Yeah, yeah. Or mom. Uh, she was in that vehicle and yeah. she couldn't get away. In time. Well, I, you know, so, okay, just to set the scene. So, uh, the, uh, Havoc, uh, I don't know what the words I want to use are. Um, havoc ensues at the uh, chaos ensues at the gymnasium. Once the snow beast is spotted and the snow queen reacts to it, he, I guess, he freaks out a little. So, he breaks the glass or something and he storms in and there's like a whatever. And then the snow queen's mom pulls up. But her car decides to stall, like, right there. Like, it's been running, as far as we know, all day. And then it just happens to stall right as the snow beast approaches. And for no real reason. That's not the kind of car you want in that sort of weather. You want something that works a little better than that. Yeah. And then stall at night in the cold. And then she just sits in the car with this, like, terrified look on her face. And then the next thing you know, Betty Jo is running out to the car and saying, oh, my God, it's my mom. And it's a kind of a harrowing scene, actually. It was um, it's really sad. In this movie where I thought a lot of it was cheesy, I thought that was actually kind of a sad scene because I'm like, you know, she just felt her mom like dead. And, you know, those deaths were painful because they had those big claws. Yes. You know, every time yeah. it killed and it like the it would like the screen would fade to red. I was like, oh, yeah, another one bites the dust. But there was also, like, the delivery was really flat from a lot of the actors. Not a bad way, but everything was sort of monotone considering what was happening. Like, when Mm -hmm. Yvette Momo's character, uh, Ellen, gets caught out in the wilderness and she's lost. And she's looking around, but she never looks completely terrified. So, when you see the woman in the car looking completely terrified and then you see her daughter's reaction when she finds her dead body it's like much more realistic and i think that that it's jarring because you're used to sort of this flatline response to everything you know what i mean mm-hmm. like oh yeah. yeah that sucked 
that person died. You know what I mean? But this is like yeah. actual terror. So you feel it. And then the girl, the, whoever Betty Jo was, the actress name is uh, Jacqueline Botts. I don't know if I've seen her anything else. She's fantastic because she's like, mama, mama. You know what I mean? And you really mm. are like, oh, my God, this is horrifying. Yeah. Um, I, all I could think was at the beginning of the movie, Carrie says to Betty Jo, I don't know uh, if you remember, but uh, I was the first Snow Queen 50 years ago or whatever. And all I'm thinking is Betty Jo going to Carrie's hospital bed and say, can I ask you a question, Mrs. Rail? How many of the other uh, Snow Queens had their mom die horribly by the hands of the Yeti? Uh, because <laughs> this shit ain't standing. This, yeah. Please, give me the list. And and by the way, you crushed my tiara. Oh, yeah, that poor... My crown! My crown! Yeah, yeah. yeah it's tough out there, guys. And, and it, it, it does do that thing where, um, uh, where, where uh, Carrie yells, the crown, the crown, and then it cuts to the crown in the middle of 500 moving feet, and then you just get this one big foot. <laughs> That comes down, not Bigfoot, yeah. Bigfoot, but just a large comes right down on. I thought, oh, that's going to happen. Oh, yep. boy. I, I thought mean, that the snow beast was super smart when he pushed like the, the not boulders, the, I want to say logs. logs. What's the plural yeah. of logs? Is it loggage? It's logs. It's logs. 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 Oh, Wait, do you, weird, remember, like, do you remember that yeah. song from Twin Peaks? Um, I, I hate singing because I have a horrible voice, but it's like logs, 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 memories and logs. Oh, it's from Blue Velvet. I'm sorry. Do you remember that? It was the radio station's call <laughs> sign. Yeah. And they would go, that. logs, 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 memories and logs. So, yeah, that's the plural. <laughs> that's how I know that. Nice. nice. <laughs> well, I think that was super smart of him to push those. And he was smarter than me because I thought the logs was not a plural. So, <laughs> congratulations, Snow Beast, for being more intelligent than somebody discussed in the film. Um, but he was, I mean, he pushed those down. And I thought, man, I mean, not many like wild beasts would have thought to do that. So I'm like, there's a little human in this snow beast. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't like fall in love with one of the women there and want to like take her off yeah. to his lair and they had to rescue like, her. I'm surprised they didn't go that that's, route. That's that's not a TV movie. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's the, the prey. prey. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Jinx, show me it's cook, yeah. done. <laughs> yes, that's horrifying. Yeah. You, you you know I I love that when the whenever we go to the commercial break like like Nate said it would it would go to red which is which is really cool and when the uh, the final to red moment is a close up of the sheriff's face Aww. and when it goes to red and suddenly the his face becomes like lighter for a moment he he it almost like I thought. Did Sean Cunningham and that actress at the beginning of Friday Thirteenth watch that? Because he's doing pretty much the <laughs> oh, exact really same face that, yeah, yeah, that the woman does. I don't think the actress would have had to watch that scene, though. Probably not. I've got this one scene in Snow Beast I want you to watch. <laughs> yeah. She brought it oh, to Sean Cunningham. You gotta do a scream. We'll do everything else with the cameras. <laughs> yeah, we. <laughs> yeah, poor Sheriff Paraday. All right, yeah, I, liked him. I, I thought, Yeah, I liked. Yeah. Okay, so something I have to say just real quick. I didn't mean to cut Nate off, but. Something, I don't know the animal muck genre as well as, like, say, the small screen disaster films, but one mm -hmm. thing that's really interesting about made-for-television disaster movies is that the bad guy is usually the, the disaster itself. It's it's not necessarily a person. There are people that you have to go up against, like there's bureaucracy, or like here it would be Carrie because she wanted the carnival to continue and she kind of wanted to keep it a secret, but she's not really a bad guy, right? Like, she's not, she's not um, the mayor, in Jaws, you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, it doesn't seem as willfully ignorant. But, like, 
the like so if you watch a movie like Heat Wave and um, The Deadly Are Missing, um, there's no bad guy. It's the disease or like the heat wave itself. And here the bad guy is the snow beast. And um, and what I like about it is that the characters all do get along. So they've set up a love triangle between Ellen, Tony, yes. and Gar, and yet they all have stayed friends. Um, and even though Gar has an idea that Ellen has sort of come back with him to see if there's anything left between her and Tony. He doesn't really take it out on Tony, and he sort of understands the situation because a lot of it came from his own issues that he had with skiing, and we can talk about that, or people can watch the movie. I don't know how interesting that is. But, like, um, Gar is, like, stuck in a place emotionally, and so his marriage is breaking apart. And so when he sees Ellen with her old boyfriend again, there's, like, Obviously, he's worried about it. You know, he's concerned. But it's not like he, like, becomes really antagonistic with the other characters. He works through it, you know. So so the dynamic in the film is really interesting because it's not like a bunch of people working together where a couple of them are trying to go against the grain and it screws up. It's it's about a group of people actually working together from the beginning to the end of the film. Um, and then some of them just don't make it to the end. But uh, I always think that that's so interesting and unique about uh, television movies. I, I don't really see it on the big screen films uh, at all. And um, and it fascinates me. So I just wanted to mention that since we were on the topic. So yeah, you're the, saying that he doesn't remind you of Axel from I Bloody no, Valentine. No, not at all. No. <laughs> because he, like in that movie, when he like he, he gets mad at TJ and Sarah a lot. <laughs> yeah, and I, he's not necessarily in the wrong. But at the same time, there's like an antagonism. I work so my bloody Valentine, I think, better than in some films. But sometimes they, it becomes all about the people not getting along rather than them working together. Do you know what I mean? And um, and TV movies yeah. are, do take the exact opposite approach. I'm not sure why that is. And I'm not sure why I've noticed it threaded through all these films that I've watched. But it exists in, like, the small screen output. It's interesting. But, yeah, yeah, the whole point is that we need to get along. Yeah, what, and, uh, um, yeah. and so the characters inevitably become really likable. Um because they're all in it together and they're well written you know what i mean like like we don't let's admit it a lot of this movie is filler i think if we all sat down and timed how many skiing trips we watch like people are on skis for like five minutes at a time just skiing <laughs> yes nothing else they're just skiing and every so often you hear a growl in the background right but there's like 15 minutes of just skiing mm-hmm. in a 74 minute movie or whatever it is and so yeah, it's like say, yeah. it's like so you yeah. can't spend that much time with the characters, but yet they somehow have drawn, especially Gar in particular, have drawn out the characters well enough that that you're kind of attached to them. And um, and I like that. You know, I like that there's a story about Gar. You don't really know anything about Sheriff Paraday, but he's there to help people. You know what I mean? Like you get that he's a good guy, and um, and so it's it's done enough that the characters are um, worthwhile, and it, it means something when they don't make it. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the things when I uh, watched it a few days ago for the first time in about a year is I forgot how sort of just casually the whole thing is is just Jaws more or less, which I really which I really kind of like. It's 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 tweaking yeah. the Jaws formula to even the where the final act is the main characters leave everyone else to go oh, and defeat. the That's monster. interesting though because oh, her name is Ellen and Ellen Brody is the wife. Oh, well, she yeah. got left behind in the Jaws movies. Here they take her along. Mm-hmm. She ins- she insists, and and Tony is almost the one who doesn't show up because they do a thing where it's like Gar and the sheriff say, "Okay, we're going, just the two of us," and Alan says, "Just the three of us," and then it cuts to them getting in a car, and Tony looks in a window and says, "Just the four of us." 
I thought, what the hell's going <laughs> so on? So we Sydney shows up. Climb in. Just the five of us. And then the Snow <laughs> yeah. Queen shows up. Just the just six the- of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, can I, I, I just realized I'm looking at the cast list here and you know, I didn't write, did I write his name down? My favorite character is, oh, I didn't write his name down. He is Charlie. He's only in one scene. Do you remember Charlie? I don't know. When the guy, he, he, I, he's, he's just in one scene. It's, um, uh, Carrie has done that speech she does at the beginning, which is really odd because the speech starts off like, all right, everyone, welcome to the big da-da-da-da-da and the Winter Carnival. And then when it cuts to her, she's just standing That's surrounded right. by like eight or nine That's people right. and there's no PA system. Thought, How did she do that? <laughs> she's amazing. Um, but uh, so so when that scene kind of ends, you get this guy This guy pulls up and he rushes inside. Charlie Braintree is his That's name. Right. I'm looking at the cast list. And there's this, this kind of just this little guy fiddling around with stuff behind a desk and um, – this this guy rushes in and says, "Hey Charlie, I, I need to talk to Tony. Uh, is oh. is Tony here?" And this guy looks up and and says to um, Charlie, says to this guy, "Well, can I help you, Buster?" <laughs> and I thought, "Whoa, that's a little antagonistic." And then, and then and then and then this guy says, "No, Charlie, please." And Charlie says, "Okay." And he leans in the back and goes, "Tony, Buster's here to see you." And I thought, "Oh, his name is Buster." Uh-uh. I thought that was just like. Char- I thought that was Charlie, like being rowdy. You know, it's like Charlie. Charlie's you know, edgy. He's just rowdy. He doesn't ski. He is. He he doesn't ski. He just hangs out behind that counter. But uh, yeah, for some reason, I watched that scene like three times this morning. I just love Charlie. Wow. I don't know why. I'm glad he made it to the I end of the know. film. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of folks do. I I, <laughs> I applaud the sheriff. I, I applaud the sheriff who may or may not make it to the end of the film. I applaud the sheriff who says we can't let people know about this because they'll go crazy and riot. And the moment they see the snow beast, what does everyone do? They go crazy and yeah. riot. He knows the town so He does. He does. So one thing I want to comment, the, this, the thing that always sticks out to me when I watch Snow Beast is that Clint Walker is like six foot seven and Bo Svensson and Robert Logan are easily his size. And it is like yes. the biggest yes. cast I've ever seen. And Yvette Momo is like my height. She's like five foot four. She might be a little taller, maybe five six. I don't think she's that tall. And um, my God, she it's Bruce Fenson is like three of her. Like yes. I'm not kidding. <laughs> that is the biggest cast I've ever seen. I've never seen three men that big in one movie together. And whenever I see guys as big as Clint Walker, I always think to myself, "How did you get born?" Because like <laughs> I always assume they come out like <laughs> three feet tall. So like I used to work with this guy who was like a really big guy. He's probably like six five, and he had a brother who was bigger than him. And they lived in a studio apartment, and I just couldn't imagine how they could both fit in that apartment. <laughs> like you know, so I would obsess over it. Like I would, he would come into work, and the first thing I would think was, well, "How do you fit in your apartment?" Like I would think that, and I would like <laughs> stare at him. And um, but anyway, so so I'm just I'm always whenever I watch this, I always get really distracted by the height <laughs> and the girth of like these yeah. three guys. I've never seen three guys bigger than them in a movie, much less all together like that. I mean, Clint Walker was famous for being like the biggest chest in Hollywood when he was doing his cowboy movies. And he's mm-hmm. considered one of the biggest men. And if you go on his, um, he has a website. There's a picture of him. At, he does a lot of these cowboy kind of conventions. And there's a picture of him leaning over like this regular sized woman to get his photo with her. And it's ridiculous. He looks like he looks like the Jolly Green Giant. <laughs> Except he's not Jolly Green. But like he's the biggest man I've ever seen. Ever. Wow. 
yeah, that's I'm looking at the three of them now, and yeah, I think Bo looks like he's the tallest, but I bet they're they're putting him on well, a box because he demanded I need to be well, taller. Well, when he's than in the gymnasium, you know, he's crowded by all these people because he's a famous uh, Olympic skier, and look at the size of him compared to all the people following him. I mean, he is like a, at least a foot yes. taller than the tallest person there, and I can't, I can't, I can't handle it. I can't handle that many tall guys. I mean, I can, but like, I shouldn't have to, is what of I'm course. saying. It's too much for my weak heart. But like, I just, I literally, I, it's hard for me to watch the movie because, because all I can think about is how giant they are. And originally, I thought Sylvia Sydney was um, Tony's mom, and she's like maybe five feet tall. And I was like, how did she yes. have that baby yeah. and live? <laughs> How could you have that baby and live? How tall is the snow beast? He's, he's never probably not as big the, as Clint um, Walker. Probably not, yeah. I mean, it's just the claws, really, that are the snow beast's advantage and the roar. Yeah, I wonder if they, if part of the, well, we'll talk about the casting. There's some interesting stuff about the casting, but um, I wonder if part of the reason why they had such a large cast was that even though you don't really see the snow beast with them, if if his claw looks big up against Clint Walker, that's a big oh, yeah. monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because in the, the final scene with Clint Walker, he's kind of like trapped inside uh, this tiny camper. I thought I bet his feet are touching the other. How end did they camper. all sleep in that camper? And by the way, okay, so so at the end of the film, when they all go off together, they pick a spot where they think the snow beast is going to show up, and they decide to take shifts, right? And <laughs> and, and they give uh, yeah. Uh, Oh, who is it? The first is it Sheriff Paraday? First of all, I can't figure out how all four of them are going to. Yeah, uh, sh- Sheriff, Sheriff, Sheriff and Gara. The yeah, and the shift, shift is like an hour. During the day. And then the other two, the yeah. little one, Yvette Momo and Tony, have mm-hmm. the rest of the night. I mean, it's hilarious. It's, it is. It and she cooks dinner for them too. It just doesn't feel equal to me. It yeah. doesn't feel the amount of work no. she does in this film doesn't feel equal to me. Um, <laughs> But but I was thinking, because there's a kitchen in there, too. So the camper is big enough to sleep four, supposedly, and sleep four giant, three giant people and one normal-sized person, and, and also bake a pretty good meal. But you yeah. can't. Yeah, and... I- and and how and they had snowmobiles. Or did they take oh, the snowmobiles to where the camper was? I they might have taken the snowmobiles and then somebody drove. I can't remember. I think they might have done that. Because at one point they're on skis, then they're on a snowmobile, then they're in this little camper. And I thought, how did you all – did you drag the snowmobiles behind the camper? Or, hey, I, guess, I don't think it matters in the end. Buster probably yeah, brought Buster. them out. Come on, Buster, Buster does all the hard work. He probably does. Who is Buster wasn't the guy who died. No, I don't he? think so. But I don't really remember Buster, to be honest okay. with you. I just know that that guy skis for like okay. five minutes and he hears a growl and then he dies. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, he, he stumbles and falls. It, it reminds me stumbles of and... Grizzly because it mm. reminds me more of Grizzly than it does of Jaws because there's all those characters that are like forest rangers mm. in that and like they go and like one of them is bathing in a waterfall. Do you remember that? And then they die and you're yeah. like, who was that person? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. I. It's it's more Grizzly hmm. than Jaws. Yeah. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I'll say it's more Grizzly then. I'll go with it's more Grizzly. I haven't seen oh, Grizzly in ages, but uh, I've seen Claws. I haven't seen Claws, I don't think. Claws is pretty good. Close is pretty good, yeah. Uh, um, you know what? I, I I want to swim in that swimming pool that they have at the lodge. Oh, so nice. That cool that cool ass swimming pool that's just steaming constantly, and Bo and Robert hang out in there. Well, you know, Gar and Tony hang out in there, and they discuss shooting the snow beast. Yeah, it's pretty great. Little men hanging out. Yeah, that's sort of what the. Uh, it's like that's a man filled 
pool. Is <laughs> they took up the whole pool, those guys. It's <laughs> so big. I can't get over it. I mean, I don't really know Robin Logan from anything except this movie, and um, he has a small part in a Robert Culp TV movie called A Strange Homecoming. And I have to tell you, Robert Culp beats the shit out of him in that. So, But I don't believe it. Really? I don't believe it. Cause I don't think I believe Robert it. Robert Logan's like three men. He's like three regular-sized mm-hmm. men all smashed up together, standing on each other's shoulders with a sweater. <laughs> That's what he is. <laughs> I, I I like Robert Logan's. Uh, you, you mentioned sort of uh, there's kind of a, a flatness to some of the acting in this yes. film. The thing I like the thing I like with Robert Logan's acting is he he's either sort of doing flat or he's doing this sort of acting where he's talking like this all the time and he's saying and he's going like this and he's saying grandmother this can't be happening and he's like getting red in the face and he's got he's got the, like on or off or in the pool he's got three settings yeah, on I, off in the pool. I like the pool setting to be honest with you. That's yeah, good. It's good. I like the little scarf he has on when they get out of the pool, <laughs> and they're sitting in robes, and Bo is just there in a robe, and 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 uh, and Robert's there in a robe with his big like scarf around his neck, so it looks like I don't know. It looks very regal. Pretty stylish. Pretty stylish. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it, so it's a it's a movie with big men and a snow beast. I mean, that's all you really need to know about it, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. I definitely a thumbs up here. So, so Nate, I'm sorry, we kind of went off on a tangent there. Do you, what else do you want to say about it? Well, the only thing else I could say would be more of a spoiler, so that's I don't okay. want to do that. So I'm going to try to phrase it okay. in a way that's not too spoilerish. <laughs> what ends up happening with the snow beast, I thought was maybe a little too silly. I mean, maybe uh, it fit. Yeah. But what basically ends up happening to him, I was like, really? I mean, come on. That was it. Yeah. It didn't really even make sense, to be honest with you. No. It's it's oddly edited, I think. The whole movie's oddly edited. It's it's a weird... I mean, it's a great (laughs) film. Like, I can't imagine somebody watching this and not enjoying it. But Mm. it's weird. It's it does have those weird edits. And I don't know if that's just the way it originally aired or if that's just how it turned out later. Like on a transfer that the VHS home release company got or whatever. But... it's strange. It, it is an odd uh, length, too. It's 80, 85, 86 minutes. And, and shouldn't it be more like 97, well, 98 minutes? Mm, that's interesting, too, because um, do you remember, and I can't remember the person's name who sent it to me, so I'll try to remember to put it in the show notes. But do you remember a while ago, somebody sent me a Fangoria article that was an interview with Joseph Stefano, and he talked about Snow Beast yeah. and um, Home for the yeah. Holidays? Well, I pulled that up again, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to read from it, but um, he was originally uh, supposed to write a 90-minute movie, meaning it should be 74 minutes after the ads. And then they came to him mm-hmm. and they said, we need you to expand it to a two-hour movie. So it probably is that odd length because it wasn't originally intended to be that long. Okay. And he had to just fit in what he could. And I think that's why you see so much of that skiing because yeah. because they didn't have enough story to fill the entire 120-minute you know time uh, programming slot they had. So it, it, it has a really interesting... Um, a very chaotic production history, um, which we'll talk oh. about here in a minute. But um, but I agree with Nate. I almost forgot about the ending. The ending to me is almost an afterthought. There's to me the movie really its finest moment is in the gymnasium when the snow beast attacks, and I like it after that. You know, it's fun and it's suspenseful, but it never really tops that middle scene of the snow beast uh, and the mass hysteria scene. But I also have a real soft spot for mass hysteria scenes. Like that's my favorite thing 
in these kind of movies because you always see something like where Sylvie Sidney or a character like that falls and people just run over her and then somebody always stops to pick that person up. And I'm always fascinated in those scenes like who stops to help people and who doesn't. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like a, uh, I mean, it's obviously all choreographed in a movie, but it's like it's like a look at how we are as people. The majority of people will run over you to get as far away as they can, but there's always that one or two people that will stop to pick you up. And it, I'm just fascinated by that. So you kind of see that here in this movie, and and so um, and it's a really well done scene. Like we were talking about, it's super brutal, but it never it never really gets better than that to me. Yeah, I can see that the uh, the uh, the closing like 15 minutes were there after. Uh, the snow beast do have a uh, a feel of okay well th- this is has- how it's going to end you know th- it's going to end as soon as we run out of time basically <laughs> when we reach the running time it'll be done but yeah I, I i kind of agree i think i think the um the uh yeah the attack there and the scene with charlie is are the best scenes yeah well and i have to say the swimming pool and and oh, the, swimming and the gymnasium yeah. scene and the- are my favorites mm-hmm. um because robert logan looks really good when he's wet that's all i'm gonna <laughs> say so um yeah so nate so nate would you recommend this one you liked it yeah i liked it i thought it was a lot of fun a good late 70s monster flick i'd say i mean i wouldn't recommend it to anybody that is looking for gore mm. or anything like that because i mean obviously it's a made for tv movie so i mean you shouldn't expect gore but you, you should expect to have some uh, fleshed out characters because a lot of TV movies, you know, are more dialogue heavy. Yeah. So they flesh their characters out really well because they just didn't have, I guess, maybe as much of a budget for the, the um, action sequences. Right. Or they had to keep them very toned down. But, I mean, that just didn't matter that much to me. I liked it. So Good. I'm glad. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. So I've seen this several times and I've liked it, but I really clicked for me when I was on my way to Monster Fest in Australia. We were, you know, that's a 20 hour flight. And um, I put some TV movies on a tablet and, um, you know, it's really hard to sleep on a plane. So I watched a bunch of them in a row and this was one of them. And I hadn't seen it in a couple years and I didn't remember it being this much fun. It, it's so much fun. And I think there are some low parts, like uh, Dan brings out, like, we're just going to keep this chase up until we run out of time and we have to kill it. But, like, um, I don't know. It's just got a real sense of fun to it. It's a, it's just a really fun movie. It's like, like, Gargoyles to me is fun, but it, it's not, like, party fun. Like, Snow Beast is the kind of movie I think you mm. could watch, like, with a group of people and have a really good time with. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Cool. So I'm glad I picked a movie that everybody liked. Um Yay. Yay! And quick, did anybody else watch the Snow Beast remake from 2011? Did you, Did you, Nate? I did. I didn't even know there was one. You don't pay attention to my emails at all, Nate. <laughs> I try to. I do. I just, I get so distracted uh, when I'm working, and I need to stop trying to read personal emails when I'm at work. That's my problem. So you get distracted at work like I get distracted looking at three really giant men. In a TV movie. Yes. <laughs> wow, that's tough. What did you say, Buster? <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, so, so okay, so just to fill Nate in, there was a 2011 remake. It's almost a remake in name only. The only thing it really takes from it is the monster and the name. And even the name is different because Snow Beast, in the 70s version, is all one word. Snow Beast, um, mm. the remake is two words. And... Um, well, I think it was made for the Sci-Fi Channel. It may have just been made for something, and Sci-Fi picked it up. I don't really know its history. John Schneider stars in it. Uh, it also has one of the Londons in it. I think it's Jason London. Um, if you know Jeremy and Jason, one of them or both of them are in Mall Rats. They're pretty famous actors, and um, it's 
not a bad movie. Um, it's not great. Uh, John Schneider's pretty good in it. Uh, pretty much if you put John Schneider on some anything, I'll watch it. I will watch John Schneider in anything. So that was nice. Um, I like Snowbound Horror. Um, a lot of it, like Snow Beast, takes place in the daytime, which I like. And one of the things that really stood out to me about it, so uh, I guess just to briefly go over the plot, it's completely different. It's about a group of people. I think there's like three of them, John Schneider and his co-workers, and they're scientists, and they track like endangered species, and they've been going to this one mountain to look at the lynx and um, trying to test its habits and like see what they can find out about it. And um, and John Schneider has to bring his young daughter with him because she's done something and, and he he can't leave her alone and he's punishing her or whatever. So he brings her and his two partners, which is a young guy and a really beautiful girl who likes John Schneider, of course, because he's John Schneider. And they all really early on kind of get wind that there's something out there and it starts attacking them. And, um, and basically the film is just like them being attacked. And so Jason London is the sheriff and he's got a partner who's like this overweight guy who doesn't want to do anything. <laughs> and um, and they get killed really early on, which is shocking. I'm going to be a little spoiler about it, obviously, um, because Jason London's a famous actor. And I was talking to Resting Willpower, our friend Shannon, um, who listens to the show. Mm -hmm. And I was telling her that, that he's like the Janet Lee of the movie. Like, you're expecting the movie to partially be about him because he's a pretty famous actor. And he dies really early on, and it's kind of shocking. And one of the things I like about Snow Beast is that it, it takes no prisoners. It does have a semi-predictable ending, but characters that I were pretty sure would make it to the end didn't always make it. And I appreciated mm -hmm. that. I also thought it was really violent. Like... It would eat people, but it had this cave that it was nesting in, and in the cave were body parts and, like, skulls with like that were still covered in the blood. And, like, um, people would get caught in the cave, and you would see sort of the gore. You never saw him eating anything. But, like, and he kills one character, and he smashes them up against something, and all this blood comes from behind their head and flows out. And um, I was sort of shocked by the level of violence that was in the film, which is good. I mean that in a good way. Uh, I wasn't expecting it. And so it had moments that I thought were worthwhile, but it's a real flat film. You know, like I'm talking about the flat acting of Snow Beast. That acting is flat, but in an entertaining, watchable way. Like, like it feels like nobody goes above a certain node on the scale with the exception of the Snow Queen. Uh, but here, the whole film like all of it, like the location, the pacing, everything is just at one level and it stays that way through the whole film. And so that makes it a little hard to watch. It can get boring. But um, but overall, I didn't think it was too bad. Dan, what did you think of it? Um, I The, the one thing that I, I really liked about it was that even though I was never completely terribly engaged, every time I check how much time was left, I'd always be surprised about how much time had passed. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that means it's good pacing, but I remember starting to watch it and after a bit checking the time and I was a half an hour in. I was like, oh, wow. I thought I'd be like 15 or 20 minutes in. That was a good thing. John Schneider was great. The monster's fun. The location is lovely. Um, I think you, you were talking earlier about the characters in Snow Beast being likable. That's a tricky thing with this one because the remake or whatever it is, um, the daughter, the character yeah. of the daughter, 
you you understand you know she she's she in the little in the little synopsis it's, it has to bring his rebellious daughter and I thought oh crap what does that mean that means she's annoying that yeah. means she rolls her eyes she rolls her eyes about forty times in the first half hour she's consistently like it's, the actress is fine it's just it's 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 just she's she drove me up the wall sure. whenever she was in a scene and and I just I I, I I had trouble watching it um just because she was so annoying and I thought she she can she can be um rebellious but she doesn't have to be annoying I, I felt like they kind of that that was a mistake sure and then there's there's the two cops with the the um uh you know the, your thin cop and your fat cop I mean, you're, and the fat cop was just so like every time the thin cop said, "Do you think that killing was because of this?" and the fat guy would just, "Oh God, what's wrong with you?" and he just <laughs> he was always complaining. And it was one of those movies where when you see two people out in the woods together, you the way they introduce them is one of them like like near the end of the movie there are two people you see and they're in the woods together and they're both kind of cross-country skiing and one of them looks back and goes come on and the other one goes oh god and, come on it's not that bad and I thought oh my god that's the way every single like group of characters has been introduced one wants to be there one doesn't want to be right. there but the thing is they're in the middle they're in the middle of nowhere in the snow you know this isn't somewhere you just appear you know this is not like I'm on a bus going to work and I don't want to be there and the person next to me does this, this is like you have you have to actively go to this place to dislike it and there was just something there was something just just it was just I just thought I just thought the writing was like I, I thought do do better yeah ne 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 next time do better uh, just do, you can't you can't have like uh, the, the problem was is that the his, his two his two partners while they were certainly good looking people didn't really register with me at all I you know I didn't want to see anything happen to them but I, I wasn't like I, I don't I, I couldn't remember their names. Yeah, I, 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 I did like the male character because he kind of bonds with the teenage daughter and she'd had a crush on him. Yeah. And he's he's very respectful mm -hmm. like of that. Um and he it doesn't become like weird. You know what I mean? Even though he's yeah. he's semi in the right age to sort of have a creepy love affair with her that might still be okay. Yes. But like um and I so I did like that character and um and I was upset about what happened to him, I have to say. But I agree with you about the cops and, and something else that, that I meant to mention was if you watch the original Snow Beast, that's a that looks like a pretty low budget film, but they're everywhere on that mountain and they've got this beautiful lodge and that yes. pool and like and they're going places. Like every scene is a different part of the mountain and like so it's active the whole time and it's got kind of a really nice cinematic quality to it because of that. Snow Beast, there's like nothing. It's like five actors or six actors and there's one part where she's at like the ski lift, the daughter, because she takes off for a while and she meets this guy mm -hmm. and she's like, Hey, Want to teach me how to ski or whatever, and then that's the only time you see like really anybody else or anything outside of that house yeah. and a mountainside, yeah. and so it's it's kind of bereft of like style in a lot of ways. I did like the cave. I thought the cave was really neat. The cave is great. Yeah. That was a nice. But one. like, yeah. but it's just kind of boring to look at. You know what I mean? It doesn't have that same sort of pacey uh, location shoots yeah. that the other film had. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, if it was like uh, they. I mean, I, I imagine they probably shot on digital video yeah. or something like that, and you can. There, there's like especially the opening sequence with the snowboarder. There were some shots in that that looked really like ooh, yeah, that's uh, those don't those don't look so great. Now there there were moments where you know I was I was fine with it, but there is a weird thing where most of the movie seems to take place in the house, mm -hmm. in the cave, 
or in the in the woods right outside the house. Yeah. And you're like, shouldn't shouldn't this be taking place across huge vast mountain yeah. areas and things? But yeah, that- yeah, I I. I I can't really, I can't really recommend it. I, um, I, uh, I, no, I can't really That's recommend okay. it. I'm sorry. That's okay. I, I'm going to marginally recommend it because it's curiosity. Because who knew that Snow Beast would ever get remade? And it does have John Schneider sure. in it, and um, and it's interesting. I think it's it takes a different approach. Well, it certainly takes a different approach than Snow Beast, but it does things differently than what I'm used to seeing in TV movies in general. So in that way, it's sort of compelling. So if you're really into TV movies, I think maybe you might get a kick out of it. Um, but yeah, it's a little slow and it's it's a lot more boring to look at. Um, it's I could I guess really I would only recommend it. Actually, I don't even think the monster is as cool as the monster in the original film. Um, I think I think most of my recommendation comes from the fact that I think John Schneider is a really good actor and people should just watch him and stuff. Um, sure. So and he's also in some Haunt in Cleveland's if you'd rather do that. But um, and I would recommend that show. But like. Uh, all of these movies, and the one we're going to talk about here in a minute, are all available on Amazon Prime. So if you have a Prime account, you know, go for it. Um, but I don't think anybody needs to seek it out. Mm-hmm. So Agreed. Okay. So we're going to move on to our next movie. Well, no, no, I'm sorry. We have background. Um, some really interesting stuff about Snow Beast. Not a lot, but uh, let me just dive into it. So Snow Beast originally aired on April 28, 1977. Um, it was actually part of the Thursday Night Movie of the Week series, so obviously it ran on Thursday. On CBS, it ran against um, a documentary called When Television Was Young. And on ABC, it ran against um, an hour-long Barney Miller. Now, I'm not sure if it was – I got – some different kinds of information about it. Somebody said it was an hour long. Somebody said it was two uh, half-hour episodes back-to-back. I didn't look up um, to see what they were. And uh, and also The Streets of San Francisco um, aired on ABC. So this uh, movie, Snow Beast, aired as part of the April-May sweeps lineup for um, uh, the 77... Yeah, 76, 77 season. The uh, April-May sweeps lineup actually ran from April 27th through um, May 24th. Other titles to run in um, the sweeps period were Savage Bees, which was a repeat. The Possessed, which is a really great movie that I hope we'll get to cover. Um, It says it's a pilot here, which is interesting. I don't remember being a pilot, but okay. That ran on May 3rd. Love Boat 3, which was the third and last pilot for the Love Boat series, um, aired as part of the sweeps. Castaway's Cowboy, which I'm not familiar with, aired on the 8th. And so did Irwin Allen's Fire, which I reviewed on my blog if anybody wants to read about that. Um, That also aired on the 8th. Um, Snow Beast was super popular. It ranked as number 34 for the 1977-76 season of TV movies um, out of 233 titles. It came. Uh, its Nielsen rating was 23.6 slash 38, which means 23.6 million homes were watching it that night, which represented 38% of the television viewing audience. Um, it was the highest rated program of the week it premiered, too, by the way. It came in number one of all the programs that week. And we talked about the writer. He, he's most famous for adapting uh, Robert Block's Psycho. He wrote several teleplays, including yes. Home for the Holidays, and also 1971's Revenge, which we reviewed a while ago, if anybody wants to check that out. That was a really amazing movie with Shelley Winters and uh, Bradford Dillman. Um, so one of the things Joseph Stefano talked about um, in that Fangoria article, and we talked about originally, was that he said Bo Svensson was a recast, and it was a last-minute thing. Well, he wasn't the only recast. I remember we, we all wondered who that recast might be, and I couldn't figure out who it was. But it turns out that there was a few casting shakeups. Um, Momo actually replaced Donna Mills, who was originally cast in Snow Beast, and Sylvia Sidney replaced Gloria Swanson, 
And this is an article I found in Variety, so that's a pretty good source. But they didn't mention anything about Bo Svensson. Um, oh, wow. The director is Herb Wallerstein, who was a pretty prominent uh, television director at the time. Uh, at one point, Wallerstein was the senior vice president of 20th Century Fox Film Production. I think he got that position in 1981. Um, and we'll talk about him a little bit more in a minute. Uh this film was shot at the Crested uh, Butte Mountain Resort in Gunnison County, Colorado. Um, the sole means of access to some of the areas they shot in were only available through two lifts, so they had to bring all the equipment on these little lifts um, every day. Uh, this area, the Crested Butte Mountain Resort, is actually the birthplace of quote-unquote free skiing, which might be why they mentioned that freestyle at the beginning. Um, other movies that were shot in this area were Mountain Family Robinson, which is, I think, the third of the Swiss Family Robinson movies, which also starred Robert Logan, so he was there twice filming. Um, and also Snowball Express was shot there. Um, John Caramati of the Washington Post did not like Snow Beast and said it was a film where the, quote, skiers could not act and the actors could not ski. I guess this movie, in some ways, is a little legendary because of Herb Wallerstein, who was murdered by his housekeeper in 1986. Oh, um, oh boy. He, she, she was actually found not guilty of voluntary and involuntary manslaughter it's a really interesting story so apparently um herb wallerstein came home one day and he according to his housekeeper started freaking out at her and he hit her or attacked her and so she beat him to death and she freaked out and she called her boyfriend and they put his body in a car and they took the car out to the middle of nowhere and they set it on fire and then they pretended like they didn't know anything about it and um it caused a huge ruckus in Hollywood because he was a very prominent filmmaker. And um, she was apparently like the number one suspect the entire time. But they finally arrested her. But they said that there wasn't enough evidence to convict her. Although I feel like she pretty much said she did it. <laughs> so I think she's saying it was self-defense and that they found that there was enough evidence to show otherwise. But it was really shocking. Um, and I don't know of a lot of film directors who've been murdered by their housekeepers, who I think was an illegal alien at the time, too, to be honest. Um, anyway, yeah. so that is the legacy of Herb Wallerstein. Um, and it's always what I think of when I watch this movie because I feel really bad for him. But um, that's my trivia. The most interesting part about that, aside from Herb Wallerstein's tragic um, demise, is the casting. It feels like when they, somebody got an idea for this movie, and, and I think they did. I think somebody came to Joseph Stefano, and they're like, I want a Bigfoot movie. Write a Bigfoot movie. So then he – it's not like he just came up with this idea. And then he constructed a film, and then they're like, it's not long enough, Joe. And so then he did that, and then it went into production, and then they had all these casting changes. So it's kind of amazing that it ended up where it ended up, like a finished product, and that it's cohesive and pretty good, and also that it remains a really popular film. So um, I just thought that was really interesting. Snow Beast. Yay! Can I, I, I just had one thought. Um, is, is Love Boat 3 in 3D? <laughs> that would be awesome. I can't survive. I can't stay alive without your
I'm just going to read. I'm going to read real quick uh, from. Uh, um, I, I've suddenly from Meryl. <laughs> sorry. I, I think that the to me the preeminent made for TV movie scholar now is Reyes. And so, uh, Meryl, I have to uh, I have to look at the name. Um, but it's, it's only because he died that he's not the preeminent TV movie guy. Honestly, ski lift to death. A suspense thriller centering on several people trapped in two derailed ski lift gondolas and facing possible death. A couple of ski champions whom a sports promoter is trying to link together romantically. An ex-mobster and a professional assassin who is stalking him. Okay, that's a little write-up he gives. So what what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you – there are several blocks of people engaged in uh, stuff in this. I'm going to give you uh, the blocks of people and then take us up to the ski lift, and then I'm going to stop there. So um, the ski lift to death part actually begins there's – there's a guy named Ben who is uh, older I, – I forget the actor's name, but you know him when you see him. It's Howard Duff. He was in a little game. He played the detective in that. Yes, yes. And he is uh, together with a much younger woman named Vicky, and Ben – uh, son is trying to convince Ben on a Friday morning, uh, right before he, uh, before Ben and Vicky are about to have a lovely weekend together at the Silver City uh, Ski Lodge, and Ben is being asked to um, testify before the grand jury on Monday. It's slightly vague as to what Ben is. He's worked with mobsters, some extortion, some bad stuff, and he's if he goes before the grand jury, he's going to get full... Um, uh, he's going to be put in witness protection, more or less, and, and be safe. But everyone is... is fairly certain that the moment the mobsters find out about this, they're going to send an assassin after him. And Vicky is very much like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then the next scene, we see Vicky in. She meets a guy who I originally called Frenchie, but that's not his name. It's Pierre. And Pierre, yeah, uh-huh, Vicky, <laughs> you tell Ben that he cannot uh, speak on the grand jury or I will have to kill him. And Pierre is the assassin that the mobsters have sent. And he says, Put him on the ski slope tomorrow. Dress him real bright. I'm going to take care of him and throw his body in a spring. And Vicky's like, well, no, I, I can convince him not, not to do it. And their plot line throughout, as we're building up to everyone getting on the ski lift, is Ben is trying to decide whether or not he wants to go on the grand jury or not. He doesn't realize, obviously, that Vicky is sort of on the side of the bad guys. But she's kind of falling in love with him, so she's trying to convince him not to do it. And that plot line builds. The sort of major plot line in it is that uh, Lee Larson, who is the freestyle champ, skiing champ of the world, returns to her hometown. And they, they, got, they throw uh, – she, she's a very nice lady. And she does, um, she does a ski ballet, and she, <laughs> she, uh, which, which we'll talk about definitely in a few minutes. Um, but she arrives in her hometown. It's a big to-do, and everyone's excited to see Lee. Everybody loves Lee. And Lee shows up with Clue Gulliger. Because, of course, that's Yay. what happens. And, and Clue Gulliger is playing Marv Gilman, who is sort of like um, a business manager, agent-y type of guy. And he's trying to get Lee um, sort of contracts with – there's uh, one company, uh, like Leisure Hours Industries or something. He's trying to get her uh, contract with them so she can sort of hit the circuit and be a celebrity and make lots of money. And Lee's excited about this. The, the tricky thing is, the sort of wet blanket, is she's in love with a guy named Dick Elston, who used to be a, a championship skier, but gave up on it and now works at the lodge and is, has bought, has, is sort of leased a house and is kind of decorating a house. And he and Lee have been sweethearts forever. 
And Dick is kind of doing that thing where when Lee says, I kind of got it really excited being a celebrity and Marv may be able to help me. Well, the first thing Dick says, are you sure that's all Marv wants from you? And the answer to that would be, no, no, Marv Marv wants to touch Lee because he puts his hand on her hand and he clearly yes. is enamored of Lee. Um, and she's lovely, but Marv, knock it off. You, uh, you could uh, settle down with Dick Elston. Uh, you could decide to do that. I know that. I have. Oh, wait, wait. No, look. Wait. Always hear Marv Gilman out. I want you to know all the alternatives, Lee. Uh, you should never make any kind of a decision ever without having all the facts. Well, now what I mean is, you just won the world championship. I mean, you're champion of this whole wide world. Let me explain what I think that means. Skiing is a unique sport. Mass participation, many, many products. Uh, what, all the ski equipment, plus what? What, parkas, sweaters, cosmetics, on and on and on, not to mention the prize money. You know... I'll ski just for money. I know that, but what do you live for, Lee? I mean, what do you really, really live for? You know? I think I do. Oh, I... I I don't think anyone can know at 22. Careful, Marv. You're losing your credibility. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I wouldn't want to do that. I really wouldn't want to do that. I can get you the time you need to learn what your life is all about and dick dick can see that very clearly but he also it's it's he also he had that life that she wants and is about to get and doesn't want that anymore and he's sort of i don't know if it's quite passively aggressively doing that thing where he's like well you can go do it if you want i'm not gonna stop you you know and it's like well you kind of are stopped and you get the, the the plot line throughout here is you know Marv puts a little uh, some moves on Lee, but she doesn't really fall for it. And but does Dick sort of um, let Lee go? And does Lee let you know what happens with their relationship? That sort of uh, does Lee let Dick go? Does Ooh. D? Le- oh my gosh, I'm sorry, everybody. I went somewhere else. That's a core blimey podcast. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> um, uh, and and so that that's one of the big sort of plot lines through that. Then you get a woman named Andrea Mason, who's a local reporter, who kind of wants to get out of the small town. And she's good friends with Lee. And she meets up with Ron Corley, who's a big news guy from John oh, Galloway. Yes. And they begin sort of a little romance that kind of um, builds towards. I'm not going to. One of the fun things about the movie was that there's it almost clogs up with too many characters involved in too many things it doesn't but it almost does and so there are little twists and turns that appear sometimes completely out of nowhere and then kind of go away out of nowhere and so so they andrea and ron you don't see them much but they have kind of a little romance that develops as they go along and then you get i think the the last main ones are oh um uh mike sloan played by don johnson who's also a um, freestyle skier and uh wendy brandt who is a uh, bar bartender, barmaid, bar um, server at a local local lo- the local bar? And uh, the first time we see her, the sheriff is saying to her, "Hey, uh, you're uh, you're not 18. We've just heard from your parents in Detroit. You're not 18." And she says, "No, I am too 18." And I, it's very clear that she's lying. And she kind of develops a thing for Mike. And they have a thing in the movie, which we could talk about, called the T-shirt dance contest, which is bas- <laughs> yes. basically, it's basically a- Andrea describes it as fertility rights. Um, but it's it's basically disco plays really loud as a crowd of people stare at women with really tight T-shirts and really tight jeans, sometimes shorts, as they dance. But the OK, so 
I'm sure we'll talk about this, but the thing about the t-shirt contest is obviously it's supposed to be a wet t-shirt contest, but they can't have wet t-shirts on yes. TV. Yeah. But the women mostly are wearing jeans mm-hmm. and like long sleeve t-shirts. Yes. Like you, there's nothing erotic about what, I mean, they all look great. They're beautiful women, yeah, but like yeah. there's nothing erotic about anything that they're wearing Yeah, with I, the exception of Don Johnson's soon to be love interest. But, um, yes. But it's hilarious because it's like, really? I'm watching this? Yeah. Like, you know? And like, everybody's like really into it at the bar. They're like, ooh, yeah, t shirt dancing contest. Ooh, yeah. And there's men and women there. And of course, women would be comfortable there because there's nothing gratuitous yeah. happening yeah. at all. It's amazing. It, it actually reminds me of when you see sometimes the 70s movies in like strip clubs and women are taking it off, and then you see like couples and things they're yes. watching it. I thought that's kind of what they're trying to emulate, except it's just women dancing in T-shirts and jeans. And most of them aren't really dancing. They're just kind of standding in place, waving their arms, which is great. Yeah. Whatever you want to do. But Wendy shows up, and she gives it her all, and she's wearing the short shorts, and she wins. And uh, she says, do I win anything? And Mike says, what do you want? And she says, a few days with you. So the two uh. of them begin to hang out. And there's another little, um, well, no, there is a little twist to Rue. I already said what the twisty uh, is there as, as it goes along yeah mike's mike finds out the next night that yeah she is in fact underage which i already said a moment ago but so you get all these different plot lines going they sort of build and and build as they go along and then finally about an hour into the movie we all get on a series of these these gondolas uh and it's sort of uh frenchie is in the front and then the middle one i think is um is uh ben and vicky uh soon to be possibly killed ben and and slightly uh, cheating but now in love with Ben Vicky and then um who's in that one Ron and Lee are in that and then the next one is Don Johnson Wendy and Marv and Don Johnson <laughs> I like it. they all have character names except Don Johnson Mike's Mike Sloan <laughs> and so they're going and and basically uh we we can talk about what sort of film it becomes in the last half hour but but they get on the ski lift to death and does Ben make it out do other people get shot what happens I'll stop there so, had you seen this before, Dan? I had not. I had not. And and, and the I'll say the first time I this is I'm 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 call, I'm going to say that this film has what I call, I'm now calling a werewolves on wheels syndrome because if you know okay. the film Werewolves on Wheels, that is promoted as being bikers turn into werewolves mm-hmm. and just go crazy. Yeah. But that's pretty much the last ten minutes of the movie. The rest right. of it is the rest of it is actually a really good biker film with some great crazy Satanists and some weird things happening. But it's sold to you as this is werewolves on wheels. So most people, when they watch it the first time, they they come away going, "Oh wow, the werewolves are only in the last few minutes. That wasn't that great." They spend the whole time waiting for the werewolves. But I love werewolves on wheels because it is so nutty. And I can set the title aside. Ski lift to death. First time I watched it, I kept looking at the time going oh my God, we're 35 minutes in and we're about to watch five minutes of t-shirt dancing. You know, uh, 20 minutes in, they do a ski competition and, and, and Lee does a ski ballet that lasts for almost five minutes. So good though. So yeah. Good. And then they, the guys do ski jumps for like five or six minutes and we're, we're 45, 50 minutes into the film and we're nowhere near a ski lift. And I was just like, oh my God. And then when it gets to the third act, it's slightly oddly structured. And so the first time I watched this, this film got on my nerves so much. The second time I watched it, however, when I knew what to expect, I had a really great time. I love the audacity of the fact that you sell it to ski lift to death and then you don't 
put them on the ski lift until like an hour into it. And it's just, I, I really enjoyed it. And I really got into it the second time. I thought, I thought I, I like, I, you know, I even like Vicky. I even like Frenchie. You know, I, I like the characters. Everyone's having fun. Um, Dick is a bit of a wet blanket. Like I said, Dick, knock it off, Dick. And I, I feel like saying cherry and Dick. Oh, cherry, cherry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I like the characters, and I like the way the the story is actually the sto- the plot lines are actually handled pretty well. The second time I watch it, they everyone gets a little something to do. The Andrea and Ron might be a little undercooked slightly, but um, yeah, the, the second time um, I I have issues with Andrea and Ron. Oh, right. Um, not to break in here, but since we're talking about them, so Andrea and Ron, that's just to remind everybody, that's the Veronica Hamill, uh, Don Galloway storyline where she's like the local reporter girl and Don Galloway shows up and he's covering the sports event and he's super sexy and they have an affair and which turns out to be a real affair, we think, because the next morning, um, she's getting ready to go get breakfast or something and he's talking about redecorating his place in New York or something. And she offers to come visit. And he says, you can't. And she says, why? And he says, because I have a really jealous wife in New York. Andrea? Yeah. Come on back. <laughs> I got to go to work. Come on. No. <laughs> Give you a present. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> I have to leave tonight. I know. You haven't asked me for a job yet. And I'm not going to. Why not? You guess. But I would like to maybe come to New York and see you. Yeah, I'd like that too. But I've got a very jealous wife in New York. just about broke in like 13 different places because her reaction was so realistic in that she was trying to like maintain her dignity yes after having sex with really hot don galloway he's (laughs) super hot guys and so like she's like okay well, I'm going to go get breakfast and I'll see you around. And she's just trying to get out of the room in like one piece, right? Mm-hmm. And do her walk of shame. And it was really hard for me to watch. And so this is almost like a side story. Like they, they don't really interact that much in the film at all. And then at the very end, you know, uh, I'm going to spoil it a little. They both survive. And he says something like, why don't you come to New York? Because I'm not really married. Yeah, that was... <laughs> Like, why did he do that? Yeah, that's it. Why? You, you look at his face to see, like, is this something he normally does? Is this, like, was he afraid <laughs> that he was he was having too strong a feeling for her or something? But you can't see it, really. It just looks like um, they got to the end. They were like, well, the movie's over. What do we do with these two? Maybe he's not really married. Okay, let's do it. And they just write it. Because the whole 
the whole time he's in that gondola, I'm like, I hope he falls out of that ski lift so hard. <laughs> and I never have to see Don Galloway again. Uh-huh. And that's saying something because I love him. I love uh-huh. him. Uh-huh. And and I was just like, just I hope you fall out of there. And um, and then he's just like, hey, guess what? Wah, wah. I'm single. <laughs> and I was like really upset about it because that's a mind game, guys. Yes. And so like it's okay. Like it's not okay that he's married, but it's it's okay. Like it happened. It sucks. We learned a lesson. But it's not okay that you told her you were married when you're really not. That's creepy. Yeah. That's that psychotic. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. That's, yeah disturbed that crosses a whole nother line so you went from i really met this girl and i liked her and i was too afraid to tell her i was married but then he whips all that out and he's just fucking crazy and it's like (laughs) and she's like okay you know what i mean like she makes this expression like yay and it's like (laughs) we have to talk don galloway about what you put me through for the last day and why you did Mm -hmm. it and no i'm not going to new york with you and yes, I'm going to tell everybody where I am right now because if I don't come back in the morning, they'll know you killed me. <laughs> and I do hope that when she went and talked to Lee after that face she made, Lee Lee gave her like a just said, Andrea, what's wrong with you? No, do, do not go with yes. him. Do not go with him. I was, I was absolutely infuriated by that scene. I don't understand it. I'll never understand it. And to, it's unfortunate that Don Galloway is no longer with us because I would ask him. <laughs> I would be more than happy to meet up with Don Galway anywhere, buy him a drink, mm-hmm. sit down with him, and ask him why he did that. Yeah, that's it's it's. I feel like the um the the movie kind of uh it it's very sort of controlled, even though it takes these breaks for contests and things. Up until everyone gets in the ski lift, then it's suddenly like that for that last half hour. It's almost like there's a different director or something, and it just goes. Yeah. It just it, because it becomes a disaster thing, but then for a few minutes it becomes uh, an assassin thing, and it's it's. I, I really enjoyed it, and there's some great stunt work uh, with the gondola and oh, stuff. So good, isn't there? Is this the movie with? Yeah, at the very end, there's a chase with the two skiers. Yes. And the one skier knocks the other skier down with their skis. Yes. Like they're both like gliding through the air, and the one skier just like leans his skis over, mm. like his whole body kind. And he goes diagonal and he knocks the, the other swap, guy down yeah. and it was beautiful yeah, yeah. they showed from two angles like a jackie jan stunts where they show him from a couple different so angles good. it was great yeah yeah no I, I i love the the fact that for the first half hour you think okay they're setting up some sort of i thought the film was going to be like they all went to the top and he was like um uh like poised as like a sniper and just like shooting at, at people he thought was him or something and they were like there's a sniper up i thought that's what it was going to be like but it's not really like that it's Really no. oddly put together, but I really liked it the second time through. Oh, good. I'm glad. Nate, had you seen this before? No, no. This is the first time I've seen this one. Had you ever even heard of it? No, I'd never even heard of it. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, this was new in, in every possible sense for me. And what do you think? Uh, am I going to get kicked <gasps> off this show? Oh, no. I thought you'd love it. Oh, I just, I don't know. I, maybe I need to do like Dan and watch it another time. But the first time watching it, it was just it was so much for me to try to keep up with what was going on with everybody and their stories. And I I will admit to growing very impatient for the ski lift to make its appearance because I kept thinking, come on, ski lift to death. This should like at least half the movie should have taken place in a ski lift. And it should have been like. The ski lift is. Have you ever? Have you? Um, both of you seen? Um, oh shoot! What's the name of it? Nighthawks. Is it? F- 
No, you know, I've never seen that. Oh, there's a great scene in like um, uh, a ski lift. I know what you're talking about. But it's, yeah. it's, an, it's an amazing sequence. And I was hoping, I guess, for something, you know, made for TV movie-ish along those lines. And I don't feel I really right. got that to the last little bit of the film. So I think uh, maybe another watch is in order because I feel like my problem is I went into it expecting something different. Than, than what it ultimately was. I think I went in expecting more of a thriller, and I feel like it leans more towards a drama with some thriller yes. elements. And I think I went into it thinking it was going to be some full-out thriller film or something, and I was ec- excited for that. So I think that might have been part of my disappointment. That doesn't mean I didn't find stuff to enjoy. The Young and the Restless skiing scene, I thought, was just amazing. Um, <laughs> oh, and, yes. And I definitely like set up and watched that. Like I liked all the skiing scenes in this one, I got to admit. In Snow Beast, the skiing scenes to me kind of took away from the film, but I actually really liked them in Ski Lift to Death. If I'm being honest, I thought that they were actually a lot of fun to watch. I especially love because you guys are cracking me up calling it the the ballet, uh, the skiing ballet, because it yes. really does seem. I mean, I didn't think of it when I was watching it that way, but like uh, thinking back on it now, I uh, I do think it was more kind of a ballet skiing because it was very much slow motion and her doing the turns and all this kind of stuff, you know. Um, with with Nadia's yes. theme from Young and the Restless playing yes. for like five minutes. I mean, it was like the whole theme. I mean, it, it's definitely probably a little bit of padding. Um, or maybe they wanted to show off the stunt people's uh, skiing abilities, which weren't bad. Yeah, maybe. They're better than mine. Yeah. You don't want to see me on the slopes. It's <laughs> not good. I've never gone skiing, so. I went I went once. I'm, a, I'm more of a sledder. I'm definitely more of a sledder. I'm a build a snowman person. One day the three of us will all get together. We'll go sledding somewhere. I love the I'll sled. I'll be fun. As long as I don't get decapitated by Billy at the bottom of the hill. Well, if you don't bully any kids. Yeah. Just yeah. Keep I can't help but bully Dan. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, Are we'll you going to steal Dan's sled? I am. Steal my sled. I'm usually pretty level-headed, and I don't mind rolling down hills if I don't have a sled. So. Oh, that's good to know. That's good to know. That explains a lot about you, Dan. You're hitting some you know rocks. It kind of does. <laughs> See, I thought you would like like the t-shirt dancing contest and stuff, Nate. I thought oh, you'd get a no. kick out of like how silly some of the stuff was in the film. I did get a kick out of that one because one girl had a shirt on. It looked like there was big flowers over her boobs. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And like it was I love the music. Kind of thing or, I yeah. love that. Yeah, I love that whole uh, music, you know, baby, <laughs> my heart is full of love <laughs> I like that song, and they must yeah. like it, too. They play it twice. Yeah, I think that was a cover, though. I don't know if that was the original performer or not. I don't know. I I, but, I mean, I love the song. I love, I love some disco, so... Um, I definitely love that as well. So, I mean, it's not to say that I didn't enjoy parts of the movie. I just feel like, you know, I think my problem with it was I, I just had the wrong idea. It's sort of like, and this is probably more my fault in all honesty, but it's sort of like if you think about a movie that was misadvertised, I think of something like, I don't know if you guys have seen Changing Lanes. No. Um, no. Uh, but it's advertised as this like high octane thriller. If you watch the trailer, it's like a bunch of crazy stuff on the interstate, but the movie's just a drama. Like it's not like an action film to me whatsoever. It's totally a drama. So I I thought that they didn't advertise it properly. It's sort of like, if you think of house on sorority row, the artwork for it features a woman like with her like shoulder, like strap falling off her dress. And it looks like it might be some kind of rape revenge movie, but it's not, it's a slasher movie. 
So I think, I don't know, I feel like um, this time it, it wasn't anybody's fault but my own because I went into it blindly. Mm. It's just the title was so, I don't know, it was the, I love the title, Ski Lift to Death. It just sounds like <laughs> such an amazing title. Yes. So maybe the movie just couldn't quite live up to that title for uh, me. I agree with you. I posted on our Facebook and on my Twitter um, an, an advertisement in a newspaper and they called it Ski Lift to Terror. And they misidentified the film, but they call it Ski Lift to Death in the listing, but they wrote it in the still underneath the still of Deborah Raff and a Ski Lift to Terror. And I thought that's a, probably a better title because I don't want to be too spoilery, but there's not a ton of death in this film, you know? And so it's, it's like a, it's a lie in a lot of ways, like the ad for, or the title for it. And so I think having it under the title Snowblind on Amazon might be doing it a favor. And by the way, the transfer on and Amazon wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, cause I flipped through it before I picked it and I thought, God, this looks horrible. But when I watched it on my tablet, it looked pretty good. So, um, I hope I didn't turn anybody off from seeing it because I was talking about to beware of the transfer. But I think I think it looks like not a bad copy. Um, yeah, I, I was I wasn't terribly bothered. No, by it, so. no, it's much better than I thought. Not, not not that you know not that that should be the um, the template for uh, you know if Dan's terribly bothered by it. But you know, <laughs> well, yeah, I watch I, a I lot of low budget stuff. I can put up with a lot, and I watch things on like I used to watch old black and white TV, you know, and like I watch all these teen sex comedies that were edited for content on television and so i was watching like edited teen sex comedies on a black and white tv and i still love them you know what i mean so you sound like my grandmother yeah (laughs) so i can watch anything and enjoy it but um but i do think it it was kind of given the bad title and i did the same as you nate like i kept waiting for the ski lift and the movie was going on but i was really caught up in everybody's stories and so I think that helped because i cared a lot about what was happening with everybody and so but i was like I was on the elliptical while I was doing it, and I would check the time, and I would be like, yeah. I've been on the elliptical for like 65 minutes, and there's no ski lift. That's a long time to be on an elliptical and not see a <laughs> ski lift. You know what I mean? Like, like it goes, it's literally the third act that it's even referenced. And, um, and I agree with Dan that it's kind of like a different film at that point. But I don't think it's bad. You know, I liked it. I do think that maybe the ski lift part is the lesser of the three acts I really just kind of liked all the fun that everybody was having and I, I really got caught up in like the love stories as I do and I cared about like the stuff and I really liked the skiing that ski ballet stuff I could watch that for like an hour and a half easily like if it had just been Deborah Raffin's character dancing on skis I would have watched it and loved it so I mean I think it has a lot going for it but I do agree that the title is definitely misleading and um, unfortunate but but I'm pretty sure this movie had some kind of VHS release because they used to have it at Cinephile um, in L.A. And I don't know if, uh, Dan, you used to ever go to Cinephile or if you still do, but they used to have a TV movie section. Yes, yeah. And I remember this I'm, movie. I haven't been there in a long time. Yeah, but. I remember this movie was there. And I always wanted to see it, but Cinephile was so far away from me that like, to rent movies was a real pain in the ass because I could rent them, but then I'd have to figure out a way to get back and return them and it was like i was never on that side of town often enough do you know what i mean Mm. to check out films so i would make like a little list in my head of what to see but i'm positive i saw something there could have been a bootleg but i always wanted to see because clue gulliger was in it and clue gulliger is a real famous local guy if you're into movies because he goes to new beverly like every night and he watches everything and he's really approachable and um 
and I got to know him and um, John and Diane, his son and his uh, daughter-in-law, really well um, over the years. And so I'll, if Clue Gulliger's in something, I will watch it. You know what I mean? I love him and everything. Mm. He's amazing. So I found a lot to love about this film, even though I do agree with some of the th- criticisms that you both have. It needs more ski lift to death. It needs more death is what it needs, honestly. Yes. It needs yeah, some, some death. De- any yeah, death. pretty much. <laughs> I... I, I I feel like this might this might become for me like uh, those sort of slasher films where you the first hour or so is just hanging out like an iced or a couple others that I won't mention because I know you don't really <laughs> like them, Amanda. But but like an iced is a good one where the first an hour is just hanging out mostly. And and I, I kind of you know the first time I saw that back in the in the day when I was much younger, I, w- I would sit there and think, come on, kill somebody, do something. But now I love it. And I feel like if I were to watch Ski Lift to Death again in a week or two, I'd like it even more than I did the second yeah, time. Yeah, I remember there's one more thing I want to bring up, that ups- kind of storyline that sort of upset me, is that she, the girl that dates John Johnson is clearly 17, right? And so she tells him, they, I, I'm assuming they spent the night together, and then she's like, she's yes, like, the, I have to go uh, home tomorrow. And he's like, why? And she's like, because I'm underage and my parents are sending me home. And he's like, you're underage. And she's like, yeah, I'm 17. And he freaks out. He's like, you're 17. That's wrong. You told me you were 19. And she's like, well, you know, I was 19 last night. And, uh, you know, and all this stuff. And he's like, well, whatever, let's just go skiing. And, And he's being kind of cool about it. But then at the very end of the movie, she's like, I live in Detroit. And he's like, I wonder what Detroit's like in the winter. And she's like, why don't you come and find out? And and they're insinuating that they're going to continue their affair. And I yes, take a year off. And, yeah, that's creepy, guys. Yeah, that that's almost as strange as the I don't have a wife. Yes, you know, it's like not quite, but yeah, you, you almost think yeah, it, you almost think it's it's like maybe in the original, maybe they one one of the other of them died or something, and it's it's suddenly when they ch- made some changes and they didn't die. They were like, oh, crap, we have to give them some sort of ending. We can't just have so them give them go morally away. corrupted. Well, it's not morally corrupted. I mean, they're only like six years apart. But, like, <laughs> it's not that bad. But it's like, it is questionable. You know what I mean? Because he's clearly upset that she's yeah. underage. But then at the end, it's like, whatever. Let's go to Detroit and have a little, you know, romance. And I'm like, don't do it, Don Johnson. Whatever. Don't do it. But I do have to say, Don Johnson's so good in this movie. He He is. He's so charming. Early so charming. on... Don Johnson did a lot of, he paid a lot of dues in the TV movies. You know, he's in Revenge of the Stepford Wives. He plays Julie Kavner's husband. And he's just got so much energy in in everything. I mean, later on also, I mean, after he got super famous, he's just really good. And um, I think this is a really nice gateway into his career. To see him really early, there's like a, a, a presence there that's already there. And, um, and he's a very good looking guy, but like you can tell that there's more to him than just being good looking. And, and yeah. it's definitely apparent in this film and he shines i think he's so good in this movie i don't know that he's my favorite i don't know if i have a favorite character you know that's interesting um yeah. it would probably be, it would probably be marv because because i love clue gulliger and also marv's a questionable character but he's not a bad guy you know no, overall no. and and i really like yeah. him in anything yeah. um so probably him maybe uh andrea played by veronica hamill because she gets the most poignant scene, and I think she pulls it off really well. And that's interesting because she was in the remake of yeah. uh, Valley of the Dolls, the miniseries, and she's the best part of that mm-hmm. as well. 
So um, she's just maybe a really good actress. But I guess those are the characters I like the best. I'm going to guess Nate liked the uh, disco music the best. That was your favorite character. Am I right, Nate? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And the girl with the flowers because that was just hysterical. I laughed out loud when I saw it was that. awesome. <laughs> You know, what was weird with the, the the first time I watched it, the T-shirt dance contest began. And I for about the first two minutes of it, I, I my mind wasn't registering quite what I was watching. I kept expecting to see more people right. dancing. And I, I've just seen there watching these women. And after about five minutes, I, I kind of looked at it and thought, you know, I can get behind this. You know, this is something I, I might be able to enjoy, but but then it immediate it it immediately cuts to like the third or fourth scene between Vicky and Ben, with Ben saying, "I'm going in front of the grand jury," and Vicky saying, "You shouldn't go in front of the grand jury." And as that scene was going on, I thought, "Well, he's going to go in front of the grand jury. I can feel it." Movie gods, I'd love a little more t-shirt dance contest, <laughs> and it happened. That rarely ever happens. Suddenly we're back at the teacher dance contest and you get the really odd acrobatic girl with the long ponytails. That was crazy. She, she was, was doing fun. the back bends. Well, first of all, she came out in the ski outfit, right? And then she takes off the ski outfit. So first of all, she's already ahead. Well, that's Oh, that was the other that's... girl. Never mind. No, never mind. When yeah. when comes to... You're when, right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, it's the uh, yeah, it's Wendy is the one who comes out with the ski outfit and she's in the shorts that's right. and the that's why she dancing won. around. She gets up on the table. Yes. Yep. Yep. She gets up on the table and shakes. I originally her thought she was the acrobatic girl because she was blonde, and I thought, did she just put an extension mm -hmm. in her hair because that girl had a really big braid, and I didn't remember the waitress's hair being that yes. long or thick, and so I thought, wow, she added it. That's so Madonna, you know, blonde ambition to her. You know, I was really appreciating that, and then I was like, oh wait, that's not her. <laughs> um, but I like the back bends. It was crazy. It was. I mean, it was crazy. There's one more thing. I'm. I, I, I'm wondering if this was something I missed at the beginning of the movie. It says Friday morning at the bottom That's of the right. screen, and it and it ends, I believe, on Monday. But you never see it say That's Saturday right. morning or Sunday You're right. morning. You're right. Or Monday morning, and I'm wondering if that has something to do with whoever it was who retitled it Snowblind edited something oh. out or something. I'm That's not interesting. sure. And here, here's – I don't know if this is a continuity error. Maybe there is something missing. But uh, Pierre says to Vicky, says, uh -huh, Vicky uh, – this is Friday afternoon. Vicky, bring uh, Ben out on the uh, slopes tomorrow at 10. And tomorrow is Saturday. But Saturday at 10, everyone's watching the ski ballet and everything. They all go out at Sunday oh. at 10. So I'm wondering why – he says that and why he doesn't get it. You think an assassin, because he sort of sees her on Saturday when she's buying a park, a, a jacket with Ben. And you would think the assassin would get angry at the woman who's supposed to be working with him and say, uh, why weren't you out in the ski slopes at 10? This Oh, or why weren't you out? On, uh, <laughs> why weren't you out there? And but that, I don't know. I don't know if, the, if that that the, that morning thing and that plot element were just two moments the second time through, I really saw and thought, am I missing? Because every once in a while, that'll happen with me. Am I? Did I the, miss a detail The hitman here? needed what? an organizer, first of all, because I just got mine, and it's already helped me tons. <laughs> Another thing I want to mention that I thought was a really cute, subtle thing was at when they were setting up the emergency stuff to help the people on the ski lift. 
there's this doctor, right? Uh-huh. And then he's like, I'm a doctor. And they're like, you need to go down this hill or whatever. So he skis to the area. And then he has to take off his skis. And, and it takes forever, right, to, like, get off his skis and get to the area. And then he has to go to another part of the ski lift and do the same thing. And by the second time, he's looking kind of frustrated because he's, like, taking forever to get out of his skis. Mm-hmm. And it's just this real subtle little thing where the doctor's like, oh, my God, this is taking forever. And you can see it in his face, and it was really charming. I loved it. I, he might be my favorite character, actually. I thought yeah. that was a really cute thing because that's exactly what would happen if you were, like, a doctor that really wanted to help people. But you couldn't help them unless you were in a set of skis that you had to get out of. <laughs> Every you know, every five yes. minutes. And so it was I thought that was really cute. I didn't bring my doctor in skis. You can you can hop out of the doctor in skis real quick. Uh yeah, yeah. yeah he was not prepared. Uh, but um yeah, I thought that was a cute moment. So I love this movie, I have to say. I was really surprised. Um I enjoyed it immensely, but I really like these sort of like melodramatic, sort of grandiose sort of disaster films. And um and I really like them when they're made for television because they do really get into the minutia of the characters and it's really fun. I just think that it needed more death and it didn't necessarily need more ski lift, but it, it, it would lack in the title in that respect. And so that was disappointing. But the stunt work is amazing. If anybody's interested in skiing, they definitely need to see this movie. It's really impressive. Agreed. As I said, I, I think folks, if you yeah, if you go into it thinking of the title "Ski Lift for Death," you're going to come away possibly disappointed, as I did the first time. And I actually had things when I watch it the second time. I didn't realize how early Wendy is introduced. I forgot. I completely oh, forgot yes, how right. like Wendy shows up like 15 or 20 minutes. In. She she knocks a drink onto Ilsa's oh, sleeve. Ilsa is the lady that Mike is 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 flirting with. And when I saw her the second time, I was like, "Whoa!" I I remember Wendy like being at the t-shirt dance and leaving. I don't remember her being here this early. So there were actually things the first time through because I was so distracted waiting for the ski lift to death that I completely blanked on. So I would say, folks, if you watch it once and you're not into it, give it a couple days and then try it again. I think I think yeah, you might I, I definitely think it's it's worth a watch. Nate, I think, is more hesitant. Where do you say, Nate? Um, I mean, I would say it's worth a watch, but don't be like me and actually go into it knowing what to expect. I, I just don't like to, if it's a movie I've never heard of before, I don't like to read too much about it because I'm afraid people will spoil it. So I usually like to go in blindly like I did for this one in Snow Beast. So I think, you know, that that's just kind of what happened to me. I just Oh, the title's just amazing, though. Yeah, it is. It is. I, <laughs> I also feel like I'll be remiss if we don't mention Deborah Raffin, who stars in it, who plays Lee, because she was a really popular actress, and people have mentioned her in the, not necessarily the feedback, but just when I've been posting images and stuff, she has a pretty strong fan base. And she was really prominent in the TV movie. She died kind of young from cancer. And... um I think we should do a double feature with her. I have a couple movies in mind, but uh, she's really good. I think here she's kind of gets lost in the fray because there's so many stories going on. I still think she's really good in the part and she's captivating enough, but I would like to concentrate on a couple of like hardcore Deborah Raffin in every scene kind yeah. of movies. And so we're going to do that, but I do know people really like her. And I feel like if we don't mention her and um, talk a little bit about her in this film, they'll be mad. Um, also her boyfriend is played by Charles Frank, who I know from a lot of stuff, but I can never figure out what I know him from. I really like <laughs> Charles Frank, but um, I agree. His character is a little dry here. 
you know, he does have a good arc, though. Like, he kind of has to figure yeah. out what he needs for himself so he can let Lee do what she needs to do. I guess their story is probably the most fleshed out of anybody in the film. It's just that the Veronica Hamill story sticks out because it's psychotic. And I don't understand why they did that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's going to stick in my mm-hmm. head forever. Um, so uh, anyway, yeah. So we, I guess, uh, one marginal thumbs up and two, hey, check it out. So um, anyway, it's on Amazon Prime under Snowblind. It, it, the transfer does look a lot better than... I thought it would. So I think everybody should give it a shot if you haven't seen it yet. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, I'm just going to go through a little bit of background. So this was a CBS Friday Night movie. It originally aired on March 3rd, 1978. It ran against on NBC Rockford and Quincy. And on ABC it ran against Having Babies 3. So that's a series of TV movies that are actually all on Amazon Prime. I've never seen any of them, but all three of them are on Amazon Prime if anybody wants to see them. Um, It came in at number 68 for the season with a 19.8 slash 33 rating, which simply means 19.8 million homes were tuned in to Ski Lift to Death, which represents 33% of the television viewing audience. It seemed to be the big ratings winner for the night, although I got some confusion about the Nielsen's when I was looking it up. Some people said that Having Babies 3 did better, but when I looked at the overall ratings of TV movies for the year, um, Having Babies 3 had a rating that was slightly less of 16.4 slash 27, and it came in at number 141 for the season as compared to um, Ski Lift to Death, which was number 68. So, uh, as I said, this aired on CBS, and... um, Although this was 1978, CBS was really kind of keeping the TV movie love alive. The ABC movie of the week was already over. So by 1981, CBS was the leading producer of TV movies and had a yearly budget of $100 million for the 81-82 season. So it looks like even in the late 70s, they were they were putting some money into their TV movies. Um, Robert, uh, I'm sorry, Roger Ebert was once asked about what he thought the funniest movie titles were. And so he said he posed the same question to Leonard Maltin, who mentioned Ski Lift to Death. Uh, which I thought was funny. Um, the New York Times, as I said earlier, called Ski Lift to Death, Ski Lift to Terror, um, under a promo shot for the film. Uh, Kevin Thomas of the LA Times really enjoyed this movie. He thought it was, uh, quote-unquote, richly cinematic and, quote, a fresh approach to formula material. Um, this movie reran on July 6, 1980, on a Saturday. Um, the director is William Wired, who I know a lot about. Not I don't know a lot about him. I know a lot about his work. Um, he directed This House Possessed. So, of course, I love him. He actually died really yeah. young. He died at age 59 of cancer, um, but he directed so many TV movies. Um, three that I wrote down here were This House Possessed, Fantasies, and Help Wanted Mail. Um, Fantasies and Help Wanted Mail aired in the same season. Both star Suzanne Plachette, and both were in the top ten um, for the year um, when they premiered. So he was a kind of a hit maker. Uh, worked really well, obviously, with Suzanne Plachette. He started working on telefilms in the 1970s. He partnered with David Levinson, um, a screenwriter, for three movies, which was Fantasies, This House Possessed, and something called Kicks, which we're definitely going to cover with Anthony Gary uh, from General Hospital and um, Shelley Hack from Charlie's Angels. It's a really cool film. Um, screenwriter Lawrence... Okay, so here's where we get the Herb Wallerstein a crossover. So Herb Wallerstein was the director I talked about from Snow Beast who um, was murdered. Well, did you know the screenwriter... Uh, Lawrence Heath, who wrote Ski Lift to Death, killed his wife in 1963. So on February, yes, and let me just read you this. And I was able to back into an LA Times article because I just saw people talking about it online, but I was able to find an actual news article. So on February 23rd, 1963, Heath, then known by his birth name, Leonard Heidemann, killed his wife, Dolores Hearn, whom he had been married to since 1955. They had gone into an argument and had physically and had physically assaulted each other. Heath grabbed a knife from the kitchen and stabbed her several times, either just before or just after killing 
her, he attempted to commit suicide. It was never conclusively established as to exactly when. Neighbors who heard her screaming called the police, who arrived and found her dead. They arrested Heath and took him to a local hospital as he was covered in blood, naked, and babbling incoherently. At his arraignment, a judge ordered him to have a psychiatric examination, and three separate psychiatrists sub- subsequently examined him. All agreed that he was legally insane. He was declared unfit to stand trial and committed to a state mental hospital in uh, at S- Cadero, California. He spent 14 months there and in 1964 was declared recovered. He appeared before a judge on the still extant murder charge and pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity and he was set free. And then he legally changed his name to Lawrence Heath. So Wow, that... Does that does that explain anything about the structure of the script? Or it might explain like that? why there's no actual death. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. Oh, I just wow, I spoiled amazing. that, didn't I? I'm sorry. Um. So. <laughs> um. Yeah, that was the most intriguing thing I saw on the feedback. I was shocked when I saw that, and I just saw it last night because I thought wow. I should look up the screenwriter, and then I was like, what? And so, um, look up Lawrence Heath, guys. It's it's an interesting story. Um. And I think it's funny that we paired these two films together because we've got murder running rampant in these films, and I don't know why. So um, there yeah. you go. They're more alike than we thought. Um, yeah. And oh, go ahead. I, may, may, I, may I just say, yes, Ski Lift to Death may be short on death, but you do get to see an old guy break his hip. So, hey, you know, <laughs> it's worth you got to take what you can. It's worth, worth it. it. It is worth it. It's worth it. So um, can we go on to feedback? Nate, do you have time to do a little feedback yes. with this? Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Because we got one piece of audio feedback, which I actually have not listened to yet. Oh, boy. Feedback time. Yeah. Oh, yes. Adam Gordon here, and Ski Lift to Death. While formulaic, to be sure, was more suspenseful than deadly, but still a surprise. The Airport 75, Towering Inferno, etc. structure was immediately recognizable, but with Deborah Raffin and Veronica Hamill, I'm in. There was so much sexual misconduct that it would make the film unairable today. First, you had Don Johnson's character knowingly going out with an underage girl to whom he had just declared the winner of a 70s t-shirt dance contest. Raffin was sexually harassed by an agent. The TV executive was ready to throw sexual conquest, Veronica Hamill aside, with an I'm married story until he saw the light. She still took the job, though it was probably on a network morning news program. At least the Raffin Charles Frank story thread didn't feel skeevy, merely overbearingly patriarchal. Seriously, that became one of the two poignant love stories in this movie. It's just a shame that our hero was going to have to make do with porn for five more weeks at the end of the film. The sports scenes might have appealed to fans, even the strange old-school freestyle skiing performance by chapstick spokesperson Susie Chaffee, but I thought it was filler. But did you expect to hear the Young and the Restless theme in Ski Lift to Death? I expected the climax to take place in a large gondola rather than two small flimsy ones. Everything about the rescue felt so flimsy to the point of disbelief. It was sort of like emergency on ice. And why did Frank stop two cars instead of letting them go to the top of the mountain and just not letting anyone else load during the high winds? But there was so much suspense created that Don Johnson forgot which shoulder was supposed to be hurt. The final chase, however, wasn't suspenseful at all, where the hitman, skiing with an injured old man on a sled, was in a race versus a former Alpine ski champion. Guess who won? With a karate kick on skis, no less. This movie was 
a pleasant surprise, with engaging characters and storylines. Watch for the beauty of Banff, Canada, which evidently didn't have an airport, and a mention of a truly doomed character, the Shah of Iran. Snow Beast was a 70s Bigfoot craze movie with a Jaws structure. You had the gagging of news in fear of losing business until the Snow Beast could no longer be ignored. You had the small group of go-getters getting its target and a red herring thrown in. The scenes in the first half were so awkward, I started talking to the screen, a la Mystery Science Theater 3000. The writing improved in the second half to the point where I thought I might be watching a good movie until Snow Beast showed up to remind me that I wasn't. This film was unique in the horror genre in actually showing the human consequences of the depicted events. Characters just weren't Snow Beast chow. Although the sheriff did pay for his deceit, despite the fact that there were dozens of witnesses who saw a white creature, not a black bear. And boy was this sucker cheap, padded with tons of skiing and snowmobile footage. Two things going for the film were the bizarrely comical carnival pageant scene and TV movie veteran Yvette Mimiu, with whom I am not familiar, so I'll be on the lookout for more of her work. The lesson of both films is that the best way to clarify issues in your life is to have it threatened. Overall, this was an interesting snow-themed double feature. If only there weren't so much snow outside. Thanks again, Amanda, and I'll be listening. Adam is so good at this. So <laughs> he yeah, did the Lady yeah. Killers feedback, and it blew me away, like the stuff he pulled out of that. But something, I wrote down two things here. First of all, I didn't do good enough research because I didn't realize that Miss Susie Chapstick was doing the uh, ski ballet in place of Deborah Raffin. I didn't realize she was the stunt person. So that's really cool. Um, also, something he pointed out that we didn't mention was that when they do bring the bear out, the snow beast has already been identified by half the town because he attacked the gymnasium. Oh, yeah. And so they know it's not the bear, but they're all standing around <laughs> at the dead bear and they're going, yay, it's over. The horror is over. And, and, I remember thinking to myself, but wait, they all saw Snow Beast. And then there's that whole Jaws ripoff scene. They're like, we have to cut open its stomach and look at the contents. So they never do mm. that, I don't think. But um, no, any, no. anyway, that was a really funny thing he brought up. I totally forgot about that. Um, yeah, he brought up a lot of really interesting, interesting things. And I think he felt the same way we did about some of the relationships in uh, Ski Lift to Death, in that they were mm. kind of skeevy and questionable, <laughs> to say the yeah. least. And um, But that the characters are really engaging. And it, it made makes it okay um uh if he is interested in Yvette Mamou I would suggest he checks out Forbidden Love which is a movie she made and I almost picked it for our uh, Halloween our, our Valentine's Day uh, choice last year because it's an older woman in love with the younger man movie I just don't like it as much as um the two that I chose but it stars Andrew Stevens and Yvette Mamou and um she's very beautiful in it and it's a really fun movie so um Adam if you're interested in that check it out thank you so much for that uh does anybody else have anything yeah, you want to add to that no, no, I think I, 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 that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you. Nate? He has a great voice. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He? Yeah. And he just pulls so many different levels. Like, he did the thing with um, Lady Killers where he was like, well, all the women are in the power roles. And I'm like, that's so obvious. Why didn't I think of that? You know what I mean? And it's like, and he talks about it. And it was really interesting, like, the, the layers that he sees in these films, which I love. I think that's important and um, why we're here. So, um, so thank you, Adam. He is on Twitter, and I totally forgot 
to write down his Twitter handle. So just look for Adam Gordon online and you'll see that we follow each other. So um, that'll be your first uh, clue if you're interested in checking out his stuff. Um, so uh, I'll just do the regular feedback now. So we got some feedback from our friend Amy the Conqueror from Podcast Mania. Hey! It wasn't, yeah, it's not feedback as such, but she was posting today that she was going to watch Snow Beast. So I just asked her if I could take the quote she used when she posted about it. So she wrote, uh, I watched this at least once a year on, on a snow day. Now watching the incredibly fun made for TV horror Snow Beast. So she watched that today and um, she loves it. Um, from Facebook, we heard from Peter Laws, who wrote, uh, I'm a huge fan of Snow Beast. The setting is fantastic, but the characters are also a little odd, in their inter- and their interaction feels a bit out of left field. I like that. And I particularly love the score. I put a very veiled quotation from Snow Beast into my first novel, which only the geekiest of geeks would probably notice, but it pleases me that in bookshops there is this little echo of this compelling little film. I thought that was so cool. I don't know what the quote is, so I'm going to check it out. He has a book called mm. Purged, which you can get on Amazon. Um, if I remember, and I'm going to make a note here, in the show notes I'm going to post a link to it so that mm. everybody can check out the book if they want to. Peter's a really cool guy. Um, so uh, we also heard from Ara Alishan, who wrote, uh, What a great pairing. Mm. Speaking of Snowbound Terror, I happen to be watching A Cold Night's Death at the moment. I almost picked that movie, but we're going to save that for another time. I think I'm going to do a Robert Culp double, and I'm pretty sure I know what I'm going to double it with. So um, then he continued, I might have to end up turning tonight into a triple header with Ski Lift to Death and Snow Beast. Um, I don't know if he did, so <laughs> he'll have to follow up with this. <laughs> John Yates wrote, "Who ultimately was the titular Snow Beast? The dude in the ass, uh, the dude in the ape suit. We glance for all of three seconds, or the lumbering Nordic missing link that is Bo Svensson. I don't know if I agree <laughs> with that, John. I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, I don't think he's a missing link at all. I think he's wonderful. But um, yeah, that was John's <laughs> funny comment." Um, <laughs> From email, we heard from our friend Shannon, Rusting Willpower, who is hey, Yay! Yay! She's on Twitter at Rusting Willpower. That's R-U-S-T-I-N-G-W-I-L-L-P-O-W-R. Um, she wrote, uh, Snow Beast. Honestly, I was rooting for the Snow Beast. I just couldn't get into the characters at all. I have no idea who any of them were, what they were doing there, although the main guy's blue and yellow ski suit was pretty fabulous. The scene where the snow beast attacks the gym was awesome. I did have to look up the trivia afterward to make sure the Beetlejuice lady didn't actually fall and break something, though. And the girl running outside and finding her mother dead was kind of heartbreaking because that's a situation that would be sad no matter who the characters were. Probably my favorite part in the movie was the shot of the snow beast's hand ripping the ski rack off. That was perfect. I don't understand why it kept fading to orange, though. Snow Beast 2011 was a lot of fun, but they killed off Jason London way too soon. He was the main reason I watched it, and I lost interest once John Snyder got captured by the Snow Beast because he was carrying the whole movie, really. I didn't watch the other movie. Okay, Shannon. So, um, Shannon, I think, liked some of Snow Beast, didn't love it, um, and I, she might have liked the remake a little more. I'm not sure, but um, that's interesting. I do think John Schneider does carry the movie on his back, I have to say. Kristen, uh, who is a good friend of ours, and you can find her on Twitter at Kiki Writes, and you should check her out because she's an author. Hooray! She has a Patreon, and um, everybody should look at her stuff. She's really funny, and she's great to follow on Twitter. Um, so she wrote, Hey there, just wanted to give a little feedback about Ski Lift to Death and Snow Beast. As cool as Ski Lift to Death is as a title, I think the AKA Snowblind is a better fit for the movie. By the 50 minute mark, I was saying to my TV, Where's all the death? I was told there would be death, but there was something, there was some excellent 70s skiing which looked more like ski dancing, and I don't understand how this is not currently popular because it was amazing. It was way better than the t shirt dancing despite the excellent songs used. The (laughs) The 70s were an interesting time. 
I liked the movie well enough, but thought it was a little dull. I think it was just because my my expectations were so high, as Nate's were, thanks to the title, because I was disappointed that Howard Duff didn't push Gail Strickland out of the ski lift at the end, and I yelled at him, too. I did like the setting so many... I did like seeing so many familiar faces, though. I recognized so many people from episodes of The Golden Girls, MASH, and Murder, She Wrote, and I'm always happy to see Clue Gulliger. Yes. I liked Snow Beast better. It had that nice 70s monster cheese that plays well on Saturday afternoon. The Snow Beast showing up at the Winter Carnival and creating mayhem uh, just by looking through a window was great. For some reason, I didn't expect the beast to actually come into town. I thought they'd keep the creature up in the slopes. Sorry about that lady who got killed in her car, though, but it's a monster movie. She should have known it wouldn't start. I also like the final hunt of the movie when the Snow Beast tips over the camper, trapping the sheriff inside, and they basically just leave him there like, well, I guess you should have believed us sooner than later <laughs> and have been part of this triangle. Um, they didn't even try to wake him to warn him. That's true. They kind of left him, and the Snow Beast was coming. <laughs> he just opened opened his eyes and bam snow bees brutal Yvette Mamou had some great purple eyeshadow though she did she had this really adorable blue and pink snow cap uh did you remember her cap matched her ski outfit and it was just and it was crochet yeah she, oh. she looked really cute yeah oh, she's the best um for extra credit I watched the 2011 remake I enjoyed it as well John Schneider came to have uh, a good time and he clearly did it was interesting to compare the snow beasts of the two films giving from the seldom seen creature that was that was probably made from great grandma's rabbit fur coat in the original to the full on I got this Yeti costume at Party City gratuitous beast in the remake so true Kristen these movies made for a fun double bill or triple bill in my case even if the ski lift wasn't as deathy as I had hoped um wow that's really good thank you Kristen um Jack our friend our good friend Jack at Jack hey, DVD Jack. oh yeah Jack DVD 78 on Twitter he's awesome by the way everybody should follow him um he wrote it's the perfect time of year to watch snow-themed films, especially if you are stuck in cold weather like I am in Minnesota. I love this double feature. Snow Beast. There's Bo Svensson, Yvette Momo, Robert Logan. Oh, there's, yeah, there's, there is the Bo Svensson, Yvette Momo, Robert Logan love triangle. I like the dynamics of these characters and how they handled issues in an adult manner, along with the local sheriff played by Clint Walker, and everyone managed to be level-headed with how to handle the crazy snow beast. Let's not forget you have Sylvia Sidney rocking a really cool leather-style outfit at the start of the movie. Um, as for Snowblind, I wasn't prepared at all. Part nighttime soap, sex comedy, and nail biter rolled into one. Was I watching what was supposed to be a wet t-shirt contest? Ladies dancing to a cover version of Don't Leave Me This Way, which seemed to be on repeat for at least an hour as Don Johnson sat at a table <laughs> wide-eyed and smiling? Don't let that fool you. His character doesn't seem as sleazy as the story progresses. The moment when the lady started performing what I guess was the ski dance and the snow theme uh, of the and to the theme of The Young and the Restless, I was thinking, wait... This part, this, oh, I'm sorry. Wait, this is a, a sport one does on skis? You couldn't take your eyes off this. I kept thinking, this is going on for a long period of time. It's too good. I suppose this gal would be performing on some networks at some exciting locations according to what I think was an agent, what an agent tells her. I'll be honest, I wasn't keeping up with anyone's jobs in this movie. That's interesting because that's where the Shah of Iran comment comes from that uh, Adam brought up. I forgot they offered to let her dance with the Shah of Iran. Do you remember that? That was one of the gigs that they were going to do on, like, network television with her. Um... And then Jack goes on, love Veronica Hamill's character of small town news lady on lookout for better job opportunities. She fell into bed with a gentleman from a big city who had connections to helping her finding that better job. Her character didn't do it for advancement. She clearly liked the guy and they had chemistry, but I was shocked as Hamill, I was as shocked as Hamill when her lover interjects, he's married. There is a twist we find out differently later on. You could tell her character was intelligent, driven, and would make her career happen with or without this guy. Leave him, Veronica Hamill, leave him! 
That's what I say. Now for that final act. Oh, I said that part. Jack did it. Um, now for that final act. Hanging by a thread on ski lifts. I was so caught up in other things, I somehow missed the murder plot instigated by Gail Strickland. I guess Gail's character was out to kill someone to further her profession. This will be something I will get figured out in the next viewing because I love Snowblind. I'm still stuck on a ski dancing by day and Lodge's dance floor at night. Thank you, Jack. That was some Thank really, really great feedback. Everybody said something kind of interesting and things we didn't pick up on. I think we were all a little put off by Don Galloway being married and not married in this movie. And I feel like that's like an essay I could write for like three days. Um, <laughs> I'm still upset about it. I, I forgive you, Don Galloway, for uh, playing the character, but I'm still upset about it. There is a monograph. Yep. Yeah, it's it's something to think about. I mean, it was the '70s, but that's just some mind games I'm not used to. Yeah, and it, it looks like like we said, it's. I couldn't tell whether it was something he did all the time or something he just blurted out and then was like, oh, you know, because once you once you're in bed naked and she's standing there and you say, I have a wife, you can't really go, oh, crap. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) That was a joke. That was, you know, it's like you got to commit. It seems. Yeah, it seems more like something he would say because he decided he wasn't interested afterwards. And that was his out. But he clearly is. And it was. Yeah. I don't know. I don't understand you, Don Galloway. I will never understand you. Um, so, yeah. So, thank you, everybody. Um, if you if you want to send us feedback, um, you can contact us through our Facebook page, which you just look for us at the Made for TV Mayhem show. We're on Twitter at TV Mayhem Podcast. Uh, you can email us at TV Mayhem Podcast at gmail.com. You can send audio through that. As you can tell, we now have audio feedback, which we love. And you can visit our website at... Uh, www.tvmayhempodcast.wordpress.com um so next month is valentine's so last year we did um older women in love with younger men this year we're doing supernatural love and i'm super (laughs) super excited about this double um we're gonna watch the 1971 remake of death takes a holiday with monty markham and i think yvette momo if i'm correct um, now, I've seen this movie like 15 times when I was a kid. I probably haven't seen it since I was seven, but I remember loving it. And so I'm really excited about revisiting it. And the second movie we're going to watch is a 1995 vampire movie starring Susan Day called Deadly Love. I've never seen this, but a lot of people have recommended it to me, and it seemed to fit the bill. So we are going to do those two next time. Um, if you have any feedback about that, feel free to drop us a line. Or you could just uh, drop us a line about anything, about TV movies you've seen recently, something you like, something you'd like us to talk about, um, about the show, whatever. Just let us uh, let us know what you're thinking. So get in touch with us. Um, on the promotional end, uh, hopefully this will come out before then, but on January 30th I'll be hosting um, uh, the TV movie Mystery uh, screening at the Alamo Draft House. So we're going to be showing a secret TV movie, and we're going to be doing it once a quarter. So... Um, Four times this year, I'm going to be showing four TV movies at the Alamo. So if you're in Austin, check that out. It's at the Alamo on South Lamar. I think I said last time it was going to be on 6th Street, but they moved the location. So um, come see us on South Lamar. I'm really, really excited about that. And I also was recently um, a guest on The Hysteria Continues with Nate and his podcasting partners, and we discussed The Centerfold Girls, and that is on iTunes. So if anybody is interested in Andrew Prine's penis, I highly suggest uh, you, you give that episode <laughs> a listen because there's a it takes up a lot of the conversation is what I'm going to say. Um, Dan, do you have anything going on? Uh, let's see. Um 
eventually Super Train is on hiatus in January, but we return in February. And uh, Kristen, a.k.a. Kiki Wrights, and I are, are deep into our discussion of the Green Hornet. My wife and I are doing Ellery Queen Mysteries. And we have a brand new old show with a guest that some of you may find a bit familiar. And, and not in a bad way. You'll, you'll like the guest. You'll like may the guest. Find- It'll be fun. It, it, it's going to be a fun show. And um, I just posted uh, Dan's Driving Double Feature covering two Star Wars ripoffs uh, from Italy from the end of the 70s, Star Crash and Star Odyssey. Star Crash is super fun. And and One Minute with Blood Lake and Ice is about 18 minutes in. And little Tony is getting super pervy. So you know it's yeah. getting super awesome. And that's that's more or less where okay, we are Okay, Nate? I'm doing the hysteria continues. <laughs> what have you done to Solange? Yes, I just I just got the Blu-ray for that like two weeks ago and rewatched it. Oh wow, I, I got it. That was that. a fun one to cover. What are you guys covering next? Uh, next, we're going to cover uh, Felidae and Perfect Blue. Oh, two animated films. Yes. Cool. Okay, that'll be that'll be interesting. Okay, I'm looking forward to it. So, any you can find the story continues on Facebook, and they're on iTunes and all those other podcasting things. Um, I'm only on iTunes. I have to figure out how to expand from that. Um, I will eventually. Um, so. That's it. Uh, we kind of did it almost on time this time. So we will see you next time. I love Nadia's theme so much that so I'm going to close out oh, the show yes. with it again. Okay. But I'm going to I'm going to put the full song on there. So um, thank you guys, and we'll see you next time. Good night. Good, Good night. night.